Welcome to Andy, James and Andre talk money stuff. Although Andy is the oracle of Latham, and James is super smart, they are not your gurus. We are not your financial advisors. Please listen to the end of this episode for a full disclaimer. Thank you for listening. Right, here we are. Episode 11. And we've got oh, James. Wow. Back again. James on the renamed podcast. <laughs> Welcome back. Thank you. How's your, your week away? Yeah, yeah, good. Good uh, bit of uh, time with family, so that was good. Yeah, nice. How about you, Andy? How uh, you work? Started reading a book on trains, so that's something. Oh, you know those people who are into trains? Like, there are people in the world who just care about trains and train stuff. It's like a thing. And, like, you have men with, like, train sets and all that sort of stuff, and they, like, recreate old train stations. Do you remember, do you remember the Jordans in Kuma, like the Indonesian Jordans? Yeah. They massive train dude. Yeah, right. There you go. I, 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 um, my father-in-law is one. And, like, and he's got that, models and stuff? Yeah, and I had a boss who, who's one. And um, one, of, one of my mate's dad was, was one as well. Um, I don't get it. It seems like the most boring thing on earth to me. But anyway, um, bought my father-in-law a book on train stuff for Christmas because it's a low-hanging fruit, right? It's train-related. He's going to like it. But I, um, I'd heard about the book. It was a, a story or a book about the early um, train networks in North America, like the USA, mm. and and the train barons. So like these um, like famous names like Vanderblit and all this sort of stuff. It's like the the emergence of these these guys. Mm. In the train industry, so it's it's a business book, as far yeah. as I can tell. It's just trains is is the um the I guess the 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 place that the business is played out on. That's mm. the theme the business has played out. So anyway, I just started reading that, and, and that should be a pretty good read. Apparently, it was a very good read, according to my father-in-law. Yeah, that's a significant part of the Berkshire Hathaway business interest. Well, yeah, is in rail. Yeah, Genesee, Wyoming. Mm. Yeah, they bought that post GFC for a big big amount of money. Mm. Yeah, um, and and my, watered. Have you ever heard of a watered stock? No. Well, anyway, there's 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 a thing in the stock market. I think they talk about watered stocks. Like that's a thing, right? And my father-in-law told me this. Um, turns out it's like on page three of the book. You, I'm you reading. You don't mean liquid, do you? <laughs> no, no, no. Watered, watered. It's like um, you do um, a capital raising or or an IPO. And you big up the um, stock, so you get it at a higher price than it's actually worth. Like you know, mm. it, probably like the Dick Smith float before it went bust, or whatever. Like you know, okay. private equity bought it, and then they um, re relaunched on the stock market, and and they had all this inventory. Um, like for example, I think I think they had um, a whole bunch of sales, but they didn't replenish the inventory. So it was looking like they were really profitable, but they were actually just cannibalizing their own assets yep. but but cash flow wise that made it look good but the business ended up going bust i think dick smith um after private equity floated it again but i i, mm. I, I think that might have been an example of a watered stock but anyway as it turns out in the old days they take cattle to to get weighed at the abattoirs or whatever the slaughterhouse and, and this dude used to give them a whole bunch of salt just on the edge of town and then they'd be thirsty as so they take a whole bunch of water in <laughs> get weighed and then the stock was watered, so you're buying, you know, big, big, fat, bloated cows because they just had a whole ton of water. Huh. And, yeah. and then that's that like the, the uh, stock market. The butchers were doing that. They they call it moisture infusion, but they basically just inject the water and brine, 
into meat products, so they weigh more. I've noticed that when I go to Woolies versus my local butcher. Yeah. You get a chicken from Woolies and it's swimming in liquid or, or mince and, yeah. and you're making spag bowl and it's swimming in liquid. Mm. Whereas the local butcher, it's not swimming in liquid when, when you cook it. So yeah. and maybe the Woolies guys are, are doing some brining there. I mm. don't know. Allegedly. <laughs> <laughs> but, but those kind of things are, you know, those uh, sayings that, um, you know, become their own meaning, but they come from something quite quite interesting. One I like is, uh, you know, air, the word airline. Mm. So the line bit of that is from, you know, ocean liner. Yeah. And line in, in ocean liner comes from ship of the line, which is a sort of a uh, 18th century, you know, battleship. Yeah. So airline actually comes from a, you know, a square rigged 18th century battleship. Yeah, right. Yeah, which is quite interesting. And the front of a uh, of the line is the van, and the ship that you put there is you know a big powerful ship that can take a lot of broadsides. Mm. Uh, it's known as the vanguard. Huh. So that's uh, you know why vanguard's got a ship as their uh, as their logo. Yeah. Okay. Mm. There you go. That, that's interesting. I actually um, heard a story recently about this sheik who wanted a, a daughter. Sorry, a son, but only had daughters and eventually had a son and used to just like spoil the kid rotten. And every time it was a kid's birthday, he'd be like, you know, you're the jewel of my crown, the apple of my eye, anything you want is yours. And the kid's like, you know, into boats. And he's like, I like boats. And the sheik buys them like equivalent of Pinot Fairstar cruises. And then the next year he's getting into jets and stuff like that and gets his own airline. And the third year, he's, like, mad into Disney and stuff like that. And he's, like, and the father's, like, you know, you're the jewel of my crown, the apple of my eye. Anything you want, it's yours. And he said, I want a Mickey Mouse outfit. And the father bought a Manchester United. (laughs) 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 Sorry, I went to do it the first time, but the fader was down. It's like, fuck. Yeah, uh, we want to use that drum thing. Andre mentioned it last week, and there was a golden moment. Yeah, sorry. It's next time, I'll leave that fader up. I didn't even stumble over my words trying to execute <laughs> that joke. Um, so, since you weren't here, James, is it, uh, did, you, did you get a chance to listen? And is there anything you wanted to to review from, um, from last week? Yeah, no, no. I uh, I listened in. And I thought that was quite uh, quite interesting. Covered a lot of a lot of stuff. Um, I mean, I think you covered it quite well. Is there anything that you guys wanted to? Yeah, to yeah. correct me on something. You, you were like you told me about your forest slap <laughs> moment listening to it. So may as well put that in here now, so people have the information. Oh, okay. Yeah, just in terms of uh, Andre asking Andy about property securities, and that was basically um, obviously a security is things like you know a a investment, whether it's a stock or a bond, they're both securities. Um, so a property securities fund is a fund of, uh, you know, I guess, uh, listed um, property investments. Yeah. So there you go. Apparently Andre was asking what property securities are and I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> it was unconvincing your answer. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. That's why we have James here. Okay. Um, so to kick things off, uh there was uh, a bit of information James shared about uh, inflation and then the fact that if it was measured in the same way that it was measured in the 80s, we'd, uh, the US would actually be 8, uh, 18% because what they're chucking around like 7 or 8? 
Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah. So it's I think it was nine point one was the latest print. Okay. Um, which is up again. Mm. Um, uh, and that stuff is from Shadow Stats. Uh, basically, uh, John Williams. He's been around for ages. Um, he basically runs the CPI calculations. What does uh, CPI stand for? Oh, Consumer Price Index. What's and, What's that? Uh, it's a measure of inflation. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, now you've thrown me. Um, so, so the consumer, consumer price index yep. is like a basket of consu- stuff yes. consumers spend money on. Yes. And it's an index of that. Like you get indexes in the stock market. It's a little bit of every stock. The yes. consumer price index is like a whole bunch of things that we consume. Yes. And there's an index of that and the price of that. So tomatoes might go up, milk might go down. Blah, 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 all in the wash. The CPI, the Consumer Price Index, is up 6%. It means that basket's up 6%. Do yes. They, that, do, do they review what's in the CPI? Like, they do. Imagine if everyone like became whole food vegan or something, and all of a sudden beef doesn't matter. Mm. Mm. Yeah, they do I, review it. Yeah. And, and I guess the interesting thing is that um, John Williams looks at how the that basket used to be calculated, which was yeah. basically a set um, – basket of goods mm-hmm. um, and looks at the different prices from one year to the next. Yep. Um, and the what, he, what he's done is actually recreated that basket and run the inflation figures on that. The, the thing that is interesting is that in the intervening time from the 1980s, there's been a number of changes to how the CPI is calculated and some people think that it's been uh, the changes have been made in order to keep the CPI number lower than it actually is, mm-hmm. um, and there are things like um, substitution, geometric weighting, um, uh, hedonics, um, which are, which are all pretty interesting. Hedonics is probably the most interesting one. It's like say if you've got a computer, one year you go to the computer store and the computer costs a thousand dollars. Mm. Um, then you go back maybe a couple of years later and then you go to the computer store and the computer costs $1,000. Mm. And for you and me, we'd go, well, there's been no change in price, mm. but the CPI would go, it's halved in price. And the reason it would do that, it would go, well, last year you got this much, uh, you know, memory, this much, you know, speed, this much, blah, blah, blah. Now you're getting a computer that's twice as powerful Mm. So, will hedonically adjustment, yeah, hedonically adjust that so yeah. that the um, it reflects the better computer that you're getting. So that that but, term you're saying is it like H E R, like hedonic or, or like hedonism? Hedon- oh. Yeah, yeah. Also, oh, it's linked in. Is that because it's linked in to stuff that you don't necessarily need but you want? I don't know. Oh. It's something like um, we'd have to look it up, but it's, it's something like. Uh, you know, in the, in the, you know, in the in the view of or something like that. Yeah. There's some there's some sort of Latin phrase to it yeah. or whatever. Um, but uh, basically, it's like it's a very subjective measure because yeah. someone's coming in and going, "Well, was a computer. Mm. Here's another computer. Mm. Let's even though they're the same price, or you know, it might have even gone up, but we're going to adjust it down." to say, oh, you're getting all these extra things, so therefore it's actually this lower amount. Um, 
So there's a, there's a number of things in that um, CPI which have been changed over the year. Another one, interesting one is the owner's equivalent rent. So they don't about apparently about a third of the CPI in the US is owner's equivalent rent, which is basically people who own their home guessing how much they would be able to rent their home for or how much they're saving by by owning their own home. Yeah. Um, and it looks like in terms of the figures that have come through that the the amount that people are guessing that their home would rent for, the increases are less than what the actual rents of other equivalent houses are increasing by. So it looks like the figure is understated and that's why one of the reasons that you get that higher number. Yeah. Um, for the for the shadow stats, yeah, okay. number. But anyway, see, it's quite interesting because it's a it's a big difference. It's it's you know seventeen eighteen percent, yeah, um, over nine point one. Um, so that's that's a significant uh, difference. So do you, do you think either is more more valid than the other? Like, do you think the old old ways a better measurement or? Well, I've seen some pretty dodgy stuff in what they've taken out. Like these days, they don't do like candles or horseshoes. Like they just use like lighting and, and <laughs> I don't know. I'm a bit old fashioned. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's an argument. That, yeah, because I mean, you are actually getting a better computer, right? Yes. But for for me, if I've got a budget and I've got to buy a computer for work or something like that, mm. I've still got to buy a computer. I can't go yeah. oh, no, just give me half a computer or yeah, yeah, um, or so. give me an apple. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be quicker on that. Yeah, <laughs> leave, leave leave the pointer on there. Yeah, so I mean, it it it, it can be a thing. What, what what do they say? There are three kinds of lies: lies, damn lies, and statistics. So I mean, you can you can use the the index, the CPI. If you if you if you take things out and put them in or whatever, you can you can kind of get numbers you want to see. Mm. Whether they're doing that or not is a different story. Um, I'm guessing the shadow stats guy might think there's a bit of a political. Uh, bent to the way the CPI is done. Is yeah, that right? yeah, and what's the website? Is that www. Shadowstats. Yeah, com. Okay. Yeah, and I mean the I guess the the people who think that the figures are being manipulated mm. then look at well, okay, this is a government number. Yeah. What's the benefit for the government showing lower inflation figures? Well, it means that you know they've got a whole lot of you know uh, retirement liabilities and unemployment liabilities with that they adjust up with inflation, so they can increase, you know, pensions and unemployment benefits at lower rates. Mm. Um, they've they've got um, a GDP figure. The GDP figure is deflated for the CPI or adjusted yeah. for the CPI. So yeah. if you've got a lower CPI and you're measuring the, all the transactions in the economy, um, then you're going to come up with a higher G- GDP figure. So you can go, well, look, we're growing oh, and actually yeah, okay. maybe we're not. Yeah. So with that, you know, say it is at eighteen percent. So am I correct in assuming your like the power of your cash? So in what three years would be like yeah, for like half half power cash? Sort of yeah, thing? I mean, if it continues, yeah, the idea is that your purchasing power is reduced by eighteen percent. That dollar yeah. you had under your mattress buys what yeah. is it, um, eighty two cents worth of stuff, not mm. not a dollar's worth of stuff. Mm. Mm. And I wonder what the you know, Andrew's point before about what was actually in that basket in 1982 is, yeah. is, is a relevant question because they might be – If it was, a, a lot of it was, you know, fuel prices and, you know, hardly any of it was, you know, other things that are, are, are have 
you know, not gone up in price as much, mm. then it could uh, could be kind of overstating inflation relative to what people are actually experiencing. Yeah. So it's uh, something that I would that would take a lot of looking at to get a, a definite answer on. Yeah. That. So you guys have any like uh, developing perspective on what's going on now with the rising rates and, and inflation and stuff in Australia? In Australia. Or or the US as well? I read a thing I read a thing the other day. Apparently the Reserve Bank of Australia is like only two people with economic qualifications out of like nine or something or seven. But basically the majority of people on the Reserve Bank of Australia's board don't have economic qualifications. And is that Peter Principal in what? Actually, the Peter Principle. What's that? I think it's when you uh, you get promoted um, uh, from past successes, but you keep getting promoted, and uh, because you're, but you end up being incompetent. In yeah, your you job get, role. it's something like you get promoted to your level of in- incompetence. Yeah, because yeah, you, yeah. you'll get promoted out of any job that you're competent at. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's interesting. <laughs> uh, uh, it's, uh, apparently, it's like some ex Fortescue medals person and some C- ex CSL person. Says so some business people. Yeah. Um, uh, I mean, I don't know if that raises questions of conflict of interest or not. Uh, maybe I don't know. I, I think our Reserve Bank tends to do pretty well, personally. But mm. they've been criticised for not doing as well as they could because they don't have economists. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah, it's 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 interesting. <clears throat> it looks like. You know, the, it, by the market, looks like they're going to go another fifty basis points yep. next month. Yeah. What does uh, what's fifty basis points? Oh, sorry, half a percent. Half a percent. Uh, right. Yeah. I so why do they say uh, basis points? So a basis know. point correlates to like a point one sort of thing. Yeah. I don't know why they say that because it took me a while to work it out mm. as well. I was like fifty percent in one meeting. <laughs> 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 That's Zimbabwe stuff. I never thought that. Yeah. <laughs> But I saw, yeah, other countries are having having big ones. Like uh, Canada did like one percent. Yep, and, and everywhere else is doing like half or more. Mm. And, um, and yeah. it's it's um, particularly interesting because it was only sort of six months ago that the Reserve Bank was saying, "Oh, well, we, you know, a bit more than six months ago they were saying, you know, we're not planning on, or we we can, we don't foresee rates rising until twenty twenty four or words to that effect." Yes. Um. So obviously, a lot of people have taken out. My large home loans in the yeah. One of my yeah. training buddies at uh, at jujitsu did that exact mm-hmm. thing. He like he went big on a place and uh, and quoted like that exact mm-hmm. line. Actually, did they say that they won't raise rates? Because if they said they won't raise no. rates, that's a big problem. Like you can't just say we're not going to raise rates and then raise rates. Mm-hmm. Like I remember David Tepper ages ago. Mm-hmm. David Tepper ended up buying the Carolina Panthers, but he was a macro guy who seemed to be killing it like six seven years ago. In America, and um, he, I think he went like big on long dated US bonds or something, and he was being interviewed, and and the guys are like, well, what if the um, central bank like raises interest rates, or whatever? And he said they won't, uh, or, or you know, someone if if some counterparty to his play, which was like government like, I think yeah, what if the government does this? And he said, well, they won't, and the interviewer was like, but what if they do? And he's like, well, I'll sue them. And he's like, what do you mean? He's like, well, they've said that they won't do that. And I've made investment decisions based on them saying that. If they go back on the word, I'm going to sue them. And <laughs> he made a fortune, David Tepper. Like, he was like 40% gains per year kind of thing. He was like like big time, um, you know, investment dude, like celebrity rock star mm. status. And yeah, he in the interview, he said, I will sue the government if they go back on what they said they're going to do. Mm. So 
Imagine that, all these all, uh, class action against the Reserve Bank of Australia for property buyers who, who bought it. By, if they said they're not going to do it and they no, did well, it, I think, I think they kind of worded it as we don't foresee and, you know, we you know don't anticipate. No, oh, yeah. It, but um, there was, you know, it, it was it – was, you know, if you read the statements, you would read it and go, oh, they're not going to raise rates. Yeah, no, I do that. My yeah. wife's like, you're going out tonight, you're going to get drunk. I'm like, I don't foresee – Myself having more than a couple of drinks. I don't anticipate staying out after midnight. And then after, it's like, I never said I wasn't going to get drunk. <laughs> you can interpret what I say however you like, but I didn't actually say that. <laughs> so, Andy, your, uh, your conspiracy theory. Yeah, yeah. So, the format of this um, thing, I'm going to do my conspiracy theory, and then we're going to talk about um, a couple of different people we listen to and follow and their macro theories, and, and that will probably be a day. That will wrap up the thing. Um, also, I wanted to tell you, Andre, before, mm. but I may as well tell you now. Mm. The opening song for this, mm. if you're doing an opening song at the beginning, mm. should be that um, Keynes versus Hayek rap battle. So if you're typing Keynes versus Hayek, there's a rap battle, and it's awesome. Is this license we have to pay for it? No, it's on YouTube. I don't know. But like, <laughs> yeah. And the reason we're using that one is because it was royalty-free. Oh, okay. Well, it gets stitched it, up. In that yeah. case... Imagine that we played that at the beginning, the Canes versus Hayek. Right? We'll battle. do a cappella or something. Yeah, yeah. We should have a thing, thing where every you know you say, everyone now go to the Canes <laughs> yeah. versus Hayek rap battle, yeah. and, and then we'll do the podcast. Yeah, it's <laughs> Just really, turn us off for a second. <laughs> it's really good, and from a from a cinema perspective as well, there's some good visual metaphors in it as well. Mm. Um, yeah, totally listen to it. It's like nerd economic rap, which is like, yeah, right, yeah. okay. Um, all right, so my conspiracy theory, I don't believe it, but, you know, it's, it's a fun, fun exploration and it could be true as well. Like just because I don't believe it doesn't mean it's not potentially true. So it's like a testable theory, more of a hypothesis? or Hypothesis. Mm. Well, it's just a speculation. It's like, yeah. oh, imagine if. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right, so the US Federal Reserve mm. is raising interest rates and now – there's more and more talk how that's going to lead to a recession. So I, I mentioned this a while ago and, and saying all the stuff I'm reading is saying recession, but it's becoming more, more and more mainstream that we're going to head into recession and why are they raising rates into a recession, um, all that sort of stuff. Anyway, so you've got, you've got the geopolitics of Russia and, you know, it's Russia Russia versus the West. And Russia's got good weapons and that makes it very difficult for the West to have any direct conflict with Russia. So the idea is that Ukraine is a proxy war between NATO or, or the West and Russia. And some people are saying Russia's winning. Other people say Russia's losing. Uh, different information, different places. But... Um, you can't have direct military conflict between the major powers because of the nuclear consequences. So what's happened is the, the West has sanctioned Russia and, and refused to buy various products from Russia or, or reduce their purchases of those products, and that was supposed to cripple the Russian economy. The ruble would become rubble or whatever, and, and the ruble went from like 80 ruble, I think, whatever it was, it was like 80, whatever the unit is. It went to like 150 and, and Joe Biden, I think, was pretty happy with that and, and boasting about how they mm. crushed Russia. And and now the rubles are like 60-something and is, you know, higher than it was pre-war and highest has been for ages. And the idea is that 
Russia said they're only going to accept rubles as payment for hydrocarbons, hydrocarbons like gas and oil, petrol, that sort of stuff, um, and and that would um, support the ruble. So there's this um, thing that's been around for ages, the, this theory that the US dollar is strong because of the petrodollar. Uh, the US went off the gold standard in the 70s or something and then went to the House of Saud and said, we'll back your regime in perpetuity as long as you guys only accept US dollars for oil and that that then oil being the lifeblood of all economies um, made the US dollar the, the, the currency that was in demand even though it wasn't backed by anything. It was effectively backed by Saudi oil, I guess you'd say. So um, anyway, Russia apparently hasn't collapsed economically. They look like they're doing well. Uh, people are saying, well, they're not really doing well if you can't if you don't have a, a free market in Russia, how you actually get proper price discovery, the ruble is worthless. It's just that you can't do anything but get rubles in Russia. So, but 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 it looks like they're doing well anyway. So Russia may be winning the war in Ukraine, a special military action war in Ukraine, and they may be doing quite fine economically. Meanwhile, you've um, got Boris Johnson out. Draghi was it Draghi, Italian Prime Minister out. Um, what did he do? I don't know, but he's out. I oh. think so. You've you've had two two leaders gone um, in in NATO. Uh, I think the German guy's in trouble as well. Um, so there's this there's this. Um, you see memes like with Putin, and then like various NATO like pro, like leaders of NATO countries, and there's like you know crosses over their faces and, like, you know, pointing out Putin's winning while all the all, all these guys thought Putin would go, but they'll all be voted out of office before Putin's gone. Um, there's scarcity of, of resources in Europe. Uh, um, I've got a mate who was actually living in Ukraine. Um, Shay was living in Ukraine. At the time? Yeah. Um, and he, he then went to Bulgaria. Uh, he's somewhere else now. But I asked him very briefly... Um, and and he he said that the month he left prices are doubled for food and everything like that and then when he was living in bulgaria the prices doubled again and then he's like in asia somewhere he's like they probably doubled in the last month too uh, i don't know yeah you know, he's just very quick conversation he's not being precise but talking about prices going up uh, there's panic apparently now in in germany the the russia won't turn on Nord Stream One, so um, the 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 Western world is is uni- unified, united against Russia, um, and they're not going to do business with Russia. But Russia needed a turbine to pump gas, and Canada said, "No, we're not going to give you that turbine." And Germany was like, "Oh, come on, Canada, please give them the turbine. We need Russian gas." So then the turbine apparently goes to Russia. But um, if if there's fear that Nord Stream One won't get turned on again, and and Germany's screwed if that's the case, like it's, um, mm. go back to cavemen and, and heat themselves up with like because they've been like decommissioning their nuclear stations and stuff, huh? Yeah, yeah, like they're big big users of coal again now. Um, so, but if Russia doesn't turn the gas back on for Germany, it's it's big problems. So for it's Germany. off at the moment. Well, Nord Stream ones off for repairs, scheduled mm-hmm. repairs, but the fear is that they don't turn it on again. Two Nord Streams. Well, Nord Stream two got cancelled. It oh. never got going. Like they nearly got it going, but then the the conflict broke out. The war broke out. Yep. Um, so anyway, 
maybe maybe Russia's actually in a better position than was expected, um, and and maybe Western domestic politics will will mean that the leaders have to say, well, we're going to back down with all our stuff on Russia because we don't want to get voted out. Maybe the average person in Germany wants warm showers in winter, and ultimately they decide that the Ukraine stuff isn't a German problem. And and if German leaders say no, it is a German problem. Maybe those German leaders get voted out of office or whatever. So um, anyway, there's my my um that's just a bit of a, a background, I guess. But the central bank in America is raising interest rates. Um, that's causing US dollar to strengthen, and it's causing um problems for stock markets and and cost of goods uh if they're pricing us dollars and and the euro is going down versus us dollars it costs more euros to buy the things so and then there's this thing like why why are they raising rates into a recession um it's going to stuff up the whole global economy so we usually with these things the poorer countries are hit the hardest you've already seen sri lanka have have their problems. They've got rid of the president and the prime minister. I think uh, they ran out of fuel. I think mm. or, or something close to that. But you know, Sri Lanka is absolutely screwed, right? And and that, that will happen to poorer and poorer countries. Mm. What, why why is America tightening? Loose loose money means people spend freely, and times things like feels like times are good. Eventually, you get a hangover from it and have to wake up to the consequences. But let's just make money loose and, and, and things good for everybody and, and worry about the consequences later. But they're not. They're, they're tightening. And the idea is that they're doing that because it's heading into the midterm elections in America and the Democrats are, are worried they'll get voted out if inflation isn't put under control in America. So they're, they're raising rates to handle inflation. That, that's the argument, right? And it probably is the case. But what if... America knows they're tightening into recession and their goal is actually to collapse the entire global economy as a way to collapse Russia. So Russia is selling, apparently they've doubled their oil exports to Saudi Arabia recently. So Saudi Arabia buys Russian oil <laughs> um, and India's been buying a ton of it. Um, China's probably been buying a ton of it. So the, 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 the sanctions on, on Russia uh, probably a very small percentage of the world actually doing sanctions on Russia. And if the whole world's not doing it, the sanctions aren't going to work by the look of things. Russia's just diverted where they sell their stuff and seem to be laughing all the way to the bank because oil's high, uh, it's, in, it's in demand. So um, how, how can America beat Russia in the war? The sanctions look like they're not working. They can't do a military thing. Ukraine uh, proxy war is problematic because Russia is apparently winning that. On top of that, there's this uh, <clears throat> concern that weapons getting sent to Ukraine are just getting smuggled out of Ukraine, which means you'll end up having all these big dangerous weapons in the hands of other American enemies, which is which is problematic. I'm not sure if you heard about this. I'm not sure if it's true, but this Ukrainian politician's wife was found crossing the border with like $20 million in her suitcases, um, which is weird because I didn't think Ukraine had any corruption. You do the drum roll. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so anyway, what 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 if um what if America, knowing they're the strongest economy in the world, is like we'll just crash everything. We are the strongest and we'll survive. And it, it maintains American dominance over everything. Russia can't be doing really well with their exports if no one's buying. Like, you know, you crash the economy 
no one wants oil anymore. Like, remember what happened um, with COVID where oil mm. in the futures markets went negative $20? Mm. We, we talked about that Yeah, yeah I remember before. you telling me that. So what, what if oil goes to $20 or $30 a barrel because the economy has just absolutely crapped itself globally? Then that, that cripples Russia, cripples everyone, but America's got the most, most robust economy and they can produce everything they need for themselves. So the last man standing is America. And then they've beaten Russia in the war um, economically, the same way the Soviet Union lost the war. Uh, the, the US wins economically. And then Europe's on its knees. It comes begging to America. And America gets to name their terms with Europe. And the rest of the world does too. And then all of a sudden, America reestablishes their global hegemony, but doesn't have to use weapons for it. They just use economics. And and maybe the central bank isn't a bunch of idiots. They're actually like super strategic and nefarious and, and willing to take everyone down to take Russia down. It only strengthens their position in the long run, potentially. So anyway, that's my um that's my what if uh, yeah, conspiracy theory, I guess, scenario. So what, what what do you reckon so that sort of like collapsing the economy, what what do you reckon that would look like at street level? So it'd be like Sri Lanka but everywhere? Like Yeah. I mean maybe not as bad as that, but yeah. Yeah. Like Man, yeah. I'm going to Kirribilli House. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the idea is it's something where you've got massive unemployment mm. and, and things are really bad Yeah, everywhere, uh, even even in America. But America is probably the best equipped to handle it. Again, yeah. they, don't, probably, they probably don't need to import anything if they don't want to. Yep. And, and they get to take China down too. So China is a mercantilist economy. Germany's a mercantilist economy. They, they, Sorry, produce all these, they produce all these goods and then export them. Mm. And, and they just effectively ruthlessly produce and export. And, and that, that, that means that they outcompete everyone basically on price. And a lot of countries don't like that. That's where you get protectionism coming in because these mercantilists countries um, who outcompete on price just, just go in and, and stuff up domestic affairs effectively because people lose their jobs. It, it was probably why Trump got voted in because of Chinese mercantilism. The whole um, flyover states and the Rust Belt or whatever, they, they all lost their jobs to China and then they become disaffected with the political establishment and someone like Trump comes along who says the political establishment's against you mm. and they're like, well, you know, it looks like that and then they vote for Trump. So, well, Peter Zion says, to counter your point, yeah. that the United States is happy to fight this war in Ukraine to the last Ukrainian, as in mm. it's, it's of uh, advantage to the United States and, you know, Western Europe or developed countries. If the Ukrainians want to fight, which they look like they're prepared to do, um, tying up Russia in an endless war, which they, they basically send checks and... and you know, weapons and don't lose any troops is is actually of their to their advantage. Um, so that that's what I would throw in there against your uh, potential worldview. Well, oh yeah, okay. So they they're willing to fight to last Ukrainian, but Ukraine loses. Or maybe maybe Ukraine's like really close to losing as it is. Like maybe maybe they're just holding but, on for dear life. But does it look like that? It looks it looks to me like the the Russians have retreated from the north, and then they're, they're now bogged down in the Donbass. They haven't taken, haven't been able to take um, Donetsk, all of Donetsk. They've slowly making ground in Luhansk. Um, you know, again, sort of outside my expertise, but it looks like another war bogged down. Go on for ages, cost a lot of money, 
and it'll be you know an Afghanistan or a or a Vietnam or a whatever where you know conflict lasts a number of years and then it becomes obvious that it there's no that the bigger power can't win. Yeah. Okay. How long was Russia in 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 Afghanistan? Uh, in the eighties. Yeah. 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 It was. Uh, is it twelve years? Something? I don't know. 11, I thought they were there in the seventies as well, but I, I, I don't know my history very well. Yeah. But they were there for a while. Um, it, it, look, you're saying that you know this. It could be another Afghanistan or Vietnam. That's probably the most likely thing. Yeah. It's, just because it's, of it's worse history. though, because say the the Russians have okay. Well, this is off Ukrainian numbers, but it took them about something like four months or five months to lose as many soldiers in. Uh, this conflict, as they did in eleven years in Afghanistan, so it looks like it's a much more intense conflict. I, I don't believe anything I read about this. Like I read stuff saying the Ukrainians are smashing the Russians, then I read stuff saying the Russians are smashing the Ukrainians, and I don't believe any of it. Like the the ghost of what was it that ghost I, of Kiev? Yeah, that was all made up, right? <laughs> and that, that Snake Island thing that was all made up. Um, yeah, I, I don't know what to believe with that at all. Um, so your, your thing that they just headbutt each other for ages and it's, you know, effectively trench warfare for ages is, is probably, I mean, let's just find somewhere in the middle. Your, your conclusion is in the middle. Yeah. So why not go with that with, without any better information? But, um, yeah, no, nonetheless, um, the, the, yeah, okay, so that maybe that grinds Russia, right? Yeah. Um, Russia grinds and grinds and grinds and eventually gets, you know, they just wear themselves yeah. out. In the meantime, though, you might have the... The global south, do they call it, um, and the non-west reshifting yeah. their political affiliations away from NATO-type countries, mm-hmm. and and that's not good if you want to be a hegemon. Yep. yep. Um, Peter Schiff also, not Peter Schiff, sorry, Peter Zihan, I think, says that America does not want to be a hegemon anymore. So that, that's mm-hmm. the other thing. But let's just you know say maybe they want to be a hegemon. Then, if if things are being reoriented away from NATO type countries, uh, why not? Why not just try and do something to to crash all these countries that are moving away from NATO uh, because you've crashed the economy, and then say, well, you know, we can do this anytime we want, really. So, be on our side. We're the nice guys, <laughs> and well, I mean, what a good way to handle China too, right? Like, there's all this um, saber rattling about China. And and they rely on exports. Yes, yes. And I mean, they they don't even have a lot of their own commodities. They need to import them. Mm. So if if you if you crash um, crash a global economy, you crash China as well. And the demographic argument that Zihan has yep, yep. that China's got to make moves in anything before twenty thirty mm. because all the people of useful age are going to be too old yep. after that. So yeah. they got, why not tie them up with so, that? So, yeah, yeah, well, crash the economy and crash a global economy for a couple of years, that's, that's a whole bunch of years wasted for China. So, I don't know. I, I don't believe it, but it is a thought. And I, I Actually, there's a lot in there that I, I think, uh, you know, I think it's in the, you know, the US's interest to, um, you know, take control of, you know, their, uh, you know, inflation issue and then, you know, have the US dollar, you know, being a, a source of, of strength. Um, and I, I think that, that there's a there's a bit in there. I wouldn't quite go as far as, as uh, you know, it's actually, you know, a, a strategy for world 
you know, domination or, or taking control of your opponents. But I think that um, th- there is a little bit to to that. It's some real Kaiser Sose stuff. Mm. Like just wait, like letting Germany just drop. Like just they're happy to let their allies just drop. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, just a thought. Um, any any comments on that, Andre? Well, uh, so you, you mentioned you wanted to discuss a, a few of the different, I guess, commentators there. You dropped a few names there in uh, Peter Zion. Uh, who else? Peter Schiff. Yeah, well, we'll talk about the economic one. So Zihan's yeah. out of this conversation. I, I'd yeah. like to leave him out of the conversation for the rest of the day, but I'm going to wrap up with <laughs> you guys. And, 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 like, you know, with all these events panning out, is that obviously the, is, is that shaping your investing? No. At all? No, because I've loaded <laughs> up on my copper stuff. So, <laughs> so I'm, just, I'm just sitting. I'm not going to sell it a lot. So yeah. I, I still like the underlying um, mechanics of the business. So yeah. it's not shaping my investing, but... It's an interesting thing um, how much macro maybe makes a difference to investment strategy. Mm. Um, but I think, yeah, without talking about us, let's just talk about these guys and their ideas. Mm. So why don't you go first with um, a, oh, guy, a, a guy, no, that, think, a guy that you, you have, have an affiliation for, a guy that you have an affiliation for, um, Mr. Peter Schiff. Tell us what Peter Sch- who Peter Schiff is, what's he all about, and what's his argument? Because you're 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 a Schiff you like you're a Schiff fanboy, aren't you? <laughs> um, You're wearing a Peter Schiff t-shirt as we speak <laughs> and, and a hat saying, make, make America Peter Schiff again. I don't even know what that means. <laughs> so let's, let's talk about Peter Schiff. Um, so, so I think maybe if we start a bit more, at, I think what we're going to get to in the crux of this uh, argument, and that's to do with sort of global debt, um, and I guess specifically American debt, um, and strength of currencies. Um, so I guess in broad terms, Peter Schiff's argument is that uh, the US runs a fiscal deficit so that they um, basically, the, the federal government needs to borrow more money than it uh, raises in taxes and it's a lot more. Um, so, and the only way that that kind of gets breached is that the, the in the end what has happened over the last say, 15 years is that the Federal Reserve has entered bond markets and basically bought the bought federal government debt. So there's a buyer there so the government can keep um, uh, printing money, well, essentially issue bonds and then have their deficits funded. Um, and the other deficit uh, is a trade deficit, which is basically the US has been, uh, you know, importing stuff from... China, and in order to do that, they need to have, you know, the Chinese buying, you know, US government assets or US government bonds or, or US assets. Um, and, and Schiff basically thinks that these, this is an unsustainable uh, situation where the US gets um, basically stuff from the rest of the world uh, by printing money. And at some stage... The Chinese or, or the various, you know, whether it's the Saudis giving, you know, with oil and, and or the Chinese with stuff, mm. um, at some stage they're going to go, we don't want your dollars, give us something real. Um, and at that point it becomes def- a problem when you've been running your entire def- your entire budget on, um, you know, printed money essentially mm. um, and you're importing stuff from the rest of the world to run your economy. Um, so Schiff feels like the the 
end result of that will be that um, the Chinese don't send the US stuff because they don't want the dollars um, and the, you know, the Saudis or whoever else or the Europeans or whatever will, will not want to buy, not want to send stuff to the US in exchange for US dollars and then the US is left in a situation where there's no goods, they've got a whole lot of printed money, they end up with high inflation um, and the dollar collapses. So that's a broad outline, which I'm sure Peter Schiff would explain better himself. Mm. But uh, but it, it's a scenario where you end up with with high US inflation, falling dollar. Um, he likes things like gold. Yep. Uh, he likes things like foreign stocks because he feels like that, that the US is destined, the US dollar is destined to lose value. Yeah, okay. So that's... Um that seems like a little bit sort of parallel to like Ray Dalio's uh, when he explains the changing world order sort of shifting and the way that he, um, I think he, I forgot what the yeah. order was, but it was like Spanish to Dutch to British to. Yeah, no, no, American. that that yeah. that's and that's exactly right because you've got the US with the reserve currency essentially, so yeah. you've got you've got a situation where uh, the US dollar is used for global trade, mm. um, so it's in demand, but it's not in demand because people want. US stuff, it's in demand because it's just accepted. Yeah. And if you, as you're saying, if you, if you've, you know, if the currency moves from, from the Dutch to the British mm. and then, you know, to the Americans or whatever, and mm. then it moves somewhere else mm. other than the United States, then they've got a big problem. Yeah. So what do you reckon that, uh, 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 not to repeat this question, what do you think that looks like at street level in America if, if that does eventuate? Mm. Um, well, I mean, You've probably got a situation where, you know, if you take Schiff's view that, that the US dollar is artificially high. Yep. Um, so, I mean, a worst case scenario is like a Sri Lanka situation where you get a currency collapse mm. and then you just can't import anything or you have to use so many of your dollars yep. to buy anything from overseas yep. that, you know, prices just skyrocket and you have you end up with a higher level of inflation or all those dollars that are floating around that are not currently used um, inside the US because they're mm. used for global trade, well, they, they come back as well Yeah, because no one wants them either. Mm. So yeah. just, just just one thing on that. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's there's a, an argument that the reserve currency countries don't want to be reserve currency countries. Because it means that they have to um, always run trade deficits to keep the system going, and they'd much rather run trade surpluses. Mm-hmm. But it's the burden of being a reserve currency nation that you end up running deficits. I haven't looked into that, but that's a thing that is is, is put out there. So it's um you, you take the burden because you're effectively the world power, and and with great power comes great responsibility, kind of thing. So, um, and, and one of the th- arguments about why America is withdrawing from hegemony is because they're sick of carrying that burden mm. of running deficits to help all the other countries get the US dollars they need to function. So, little little thought. Uh, Peter Schiff also wrote that book. What was the book? Well, he's written a few. The one about economies, uh, economics in one lesson, or is that Henry Hazlitt? Henry Hazlitt, economics in one lesson, and how an economy grows and why it crashes. Yeah, is that the Peter Schiff? Was it? Erwin Schiff, that one. Oh, yeah, maybe it's P. Schiff's dad. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, anyway, so their book's worth reading, um, I think, both of those. And he's an Austrian 
economics. Yeah, yeah. So I guess enforced. I guess with pet shift, just the other thing to notice is he's, he's what I, you'd almost call a free market fundamentalist. So yeah. he he believes that the the all this stuff that the government's doing, it should not be doing. Yep. Um, and that um, in the end, um, you're just creating bigger problems mm. um, by trying to prop things up. Yes. And it's better to let um, Austrians. Austrian school economists are big on, um, you know, the the boom is the problem, the bust is the solution. Yeah. So if there's a, you know, if you have a have a have a boom, the best uh, and and things get out of control and you have a bubble and you know uh, the best thing to do with that is just to let it collapse and start again, because uh, then you get rid of all the all the bad things out of the system, um, as opposed to going, oh no, the bubble's collapsing. Let's try and pump it back up again, because mm. uh, you just create more distortions in the system. So he kind of think talks about it as um, things like, um, you know, it's like a heroin addict. You know, if you've yeah. been, if you've had this this boom, you've had this artificial high, um, and the best thing to do for a heroin addict is to go go cold turkey, mm. and it's not pleasant, yeah. but it's better than trying to. Reshoot yourself up with heroin to keep yeah, the, to okay. keep the party going. Yeah. Okay. So, um, does Peter Schiff ever talk about if there was a time where it was like a, like a golden age where where the markets were free and yeah yeah so so that's that's actually a good question. Mm. Um, so he is, uh, I was going to say romantically attached, but he he likes nineteenth century United States where yep. they're on a gold standard. Yep. Um, you know, a, a dollar, a dollar. Sorry, a an ounce of gold is twenty dollars, and that's mm. uh, a fixed exchange rate. And you can yeah. exchange your dollars for gold at the bank. Yeah. Um, and there's no inflation because, you know, you've got this fixed quantity of gold, and prices tend to fall over time as people become, you know, as things become more efficient. Mm. Um, and he's very critical of Keynesians, in that. Um, he says, "Well, look, the you know the nineteenth century in the United States was a was a boom time. It was you know, apart from say the Civil War, mm. it was a very good time for American development. You know, developed from this sort of ex colony into um, the beginning of becoming a world superpower. Yeah, um, and it did that through you know low regulation. Uh, it did that you know people going out west and just making." You know, making things for themselves. Yeah. Um. Not not much. Uh. Not much government. Uh. To be to be to be seen. Not 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 a very powerful federal government. Just you know, state governments doing mm. their thing. Um. And of course, you know, the free money. With sorry, the I guess non central money in that in that there's say say for instance, you know how people Bitcoin people are like, oh look, this is decentralized money. Mm. Peter Schiff's well, gold was the original decentralized money where you yeah. where you had. Gold and the government couldn't do anything other than fix the number of dollars to the amount of gold there was, mm. and so um, it couldn't it couldn't create inflation because it had to have the the you know the banks had to have the gold to back it. Yeah, does he cop any heat for for like saying the eighteenth century was great? Uh, I mean, in terms of uh, there's like a few moving parts in there, in, mm. in terms of the people moving west were like you know plundering the Native Americans and. And I guess slavery and stuff at that time as well. Is it, like, uh, do you um, think like that helped the boom? Having to to or having kill to, like to be Native being Americans. able to exploit or no, or you know exploit through slavery and I think the slaves like weren't very productive. 
I think there's been economic research into that, saying yeah. that you're better off not having slaves in North America economically. Yeah. But, but but I think I think that you know, say the second half of that ni- of the nineteenth century. Mm. Um, so um, you know, say post Civil War, I think he he'd be thinking that was kind of the you know the prime time. I mean, he's he's definitely you know not in any way for um, having people. You know, enslaved. He's yeah, very yeah, much yeah. a free market. People yeah, should yeah. make their own contracts with each yes. other. Yeah, yeah. Um, people should make their individual decisions. Mm. Um, and you know, it's not for the government to intervene and say um, these people can't make a contract with each other on mm. terms that they both think are agreeable. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, you know, something like slavery is, you know, Peter Schiff would argue, well, that's only happens because you've got a government intervention which says these people are. You know, uh, property uh, of other prof- people, property yeah. and the pro- property. It's enforced by government, government isn't it? Yeah, slavery yeah. was enforced by government. Yeah. Good luck being a, a slave owner with fifty slaves and one of you, mm. um, and getting away with that without government support. Yeah. You know, if, if if slaves killed their master and 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 ran away, or whatever, then it would be the government tracking them down, mm. and and you know probably torturing them and killing them or whatever. Mm. So. The government was fundamental to the uh, ability to maintain a slave population. Yeah, and and yeah, as far as um, like obviously the slaves were exploited because mm. they were slaves, but I've read stuff saying that economically it wasn't like to the benefit to have. Yeah, okay. Like it wasn't an economic benefit having slaves. You're yeah. better off having paid workers who were motivated and willing to do a better job mm. and. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 maybe it was better to have slaves economically, but I've read stuff saying this. No, it just wasn't. Like if you if yeah. you look at the numbers, it was not better to have slaves. It was a bad business choice. Yeah, to get slaves, and yeah. that's without like the war happening or whatever. Just as workers. Yeah, and we don't have slaves these days in in modern economies, and our modern economies boom. Yes, so that might be something in that. Yeah. The, for a really good functioning economy, you want mm. people producing at high levels. Yes. And if I'm someone's slave mm. and they're like, oh, can you please do your best? I'm like, no, <laughs> I can do my best. I'll do my worst. I'll do the yeah. absolute worst I can get away with because I resent you every time I look at you. Yeah. If you ask me to move a pile of stones and it's a beautifully stacked pyramid of stones and you ask me to move it, I'm not going to restack it as a beautiful pyramid. Mm. I'm going to put it in the wrong spot on purpose and mm. it'll just be rocks everywhere. Yeah. That's my attitude. Mm. Because I'm a slave and I don't want to be a slave. Yeah. So it's a master-slave dichotomy. Whereas if um, you say, you move this pile of stones, we've got this plan with it, and you get 20% of the profits, probably he's more motivated. Yeah. So, yeah. Hmm. All right. So, so Peter Schiff, oh, you want to say something? No, no, no I was just going to say, who else? Um, so I'm a fanboy of <laughs> Jeff Snyder from, um, well, he, he's moved employers now, but Jeff Snyder is um, the Eurodollar guy. Mm. So he argues, so Eurodollar University um, is, is on, what is it, um, Spotify and YouTube, Emil Kalinowski interviews Jeff Snyder. So the, the argument there is that there's this magical... Can, can, can you start off with the explain the Eurodollar and what it is, etc. Because otherwise, yeah, I was just about to do oh, that sorry, before sorry, you tried sorry. to be jagged. <laughs> <laughs> so, so the idea is that there's this um, <clears throat> magical black box where all this economic activity takes place, yeah. and and the 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 magical black 
box is effectively the euro dollar space. The, the euro dollar is said to have originated uh, post-World War II where countries outside of America and outside of the American monetary system wanted to do trade in US dollars. So then they started doing trades in US dollars, not even necessarily having the US dollars to do the trades with, but just creating debits and credits on ledgers and then switching those debits and credits around. And it's kind of like, um, Andre, can you lend me a million US dollars and you're like, oh, well, I can write you a, a note saying I'm good for a million US dollars. And I'm like, cool. And then you're like, well, I want some collateral from you, Andrew. And I'm like, all right, well, I'll give you um, a bunch of Italian treasury bonds. And if I don't pay you back, you keep the bonds. I take this note from you saying that you're good for a million US dollars. And then I give it to James. And I'm like, I'd like to transact with you. I've got this note that says Andre's good for a million US dollars. That's basically a million US dollars, right? And then James is like, all right, cool. And then I transact with James. Now he's got that note. There's not even necessarily a million US dollars behind that note, but it's being treated like it's a million dollars and getting passed around that way. It's an oversimplification. And, and there, I think there might have even been US dollars as well. But the idea is it's mostly just um, on, on accounting, accounting books rather than any actual delivery of US dollars. But uh, th- there's an expectation they will be delivered at some point. So the 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 Jeff Snyder thing is that the set, the Reserve Bank of America sets interest rates. How I don't know how they do it actually. Um, I don't know how the Reserve Bank of Australia does it, but the Reserve Bank of America sets interest rates, and and they're raising interest rates at the moment, right? But there's a much bigger market for US dollars called the euro dollar, and it's not Europe. It's just the rest of the world that's not America, effectively, and them trading amongst themselves and putting a price on what they think US dollars are worth and the interest rate, well, effectively the interest rate US dollar should have. And the euro dollar interest rates do not correlate with what the Federal Reserve does. So at the moment, the Federal Reserve is raising interest rates and in a normal market, the theory is that if you raise short-term interest rates, like the one year, then the 30-year <coughs> needs to go up as well because of the time value of money. If I'm being if – I, if, I, if I don't have my money for one year, I want compensation in the form of interest. If I don't have it for 30 years, I want more compensation because of the risk around what happens in the next 30 years. So the time value of money says a dollar in my hand now is worth a dollar in any other point of time. If I'm lending you a dollar for 30 years, you've got to give me a higher interest rate than you would to borrow off me for one year. So the longer duration, the higher the interest rate. That's the theory, right? Um, the, you get a thing called yield, and that's the yield curve, right? So it's basically the interest rate for one year is less than the interest rate for five years, which is less than the interest rate for 10 years, which is less than the interest rate for 30 years. It's a, it's a, it's a line going from left to right. Um, and, and bottom to top in, in um, a, a graph, and that's a yield curve. But you get yield curve inversion where the long-term interest rate is actually lower than the short-term interest rate, and that's not supposed to happen. Right? It's theoretically not supposed to happen in normal markets. The euro dollar has lower interest rates from what I understand, and, and longer, the long-duration yield curves invert and go below what the treasury rates is. 
So there's one market that's manipulated by the Treasury saying interest rates this. There's the free market, which is the euro dollar, saying, well, we actually think the interest rate is something else. And Jeff Snyder has been saying for a while, lower. Um, a, a lower interest rate than what you'd be expecting from the, the Federal Reserve. And that magical black box of the euro dollar and the interest rates that are set in these euro dollar exchanges, which is just transactions all over the world. So it's a lot of um, parties transacting. And the idea is that the bigger the market, the better price discovery you get. So it's massive price discovery. The interest rates there are indicative of where they think, where the world is effectively guessing where the world's going to go. So the central banks really don't do very much, according to him. Mm. It's, it's all these off-balance sheet transactions, or sorry, um, these, these out-of-US uh, purview transactions that ultimately dictate economics. And, and you can look at the euro dollar and get, a, and get an idea of where they, all these agents and, and, and transacting parties, feel the world is going. And, and the euro dollar says that we're heading for deflationary and recessionary things. The interest rate's getting low and lower and lower, even though the Fed's raising rates. The euro, euro dollar is saying rates are going lower and they're transacting on lower rates. So they're already using, they're putting their money where their mouth is, saying we think the interest rates are going down. Would it be fair to say that, um, say, the, the US dollar, as in the, the you know, uh, Federal Reserve sort of regulated, I guess, um, dollar is, you know, you've got a regulated market and then you've got an unregulated market or a free market with the euro dollar of just all these parties trading it as if it was, say, a, you know, alternative currency or a gold or something like that. Um, so that the, the, yeah, the free market is uh, basically saying we're more likely to have a significant recession or deflation um, than what the, the government regulated US dollar um, uh, interest rates are saying. Yeah, so euro dollar at the moment is apparently saying recession, deflation, mm-hmm. whereas CPI and American central banks are saying inflation. Yep, and and you know boom times. Yep, yep. And can we go back to the, those those uh, quads we've talked about before? Which is so mm. so uh, if you've got inflation <coughs> high and low and um, and growth. High and low, we'll just yeah. use high and low, not sort of recession and growth. And um, but uh, so you can imagine there's a, a square with four quadrants, mm. um, and in one quarter, say the bottom left, you might have low inflation, low growth. Um, above that, you'd have um, low inflation, high growth, and then in the bottom right, you'd have uh, high inflation, low growth. And then in the top right, you'd have high inflation, high growth. So if you look at, say, the difference between Peter Schiff um, and Snyder, uh, Snyder, yeah, Jeff Snyder, um, Jeff Snyder's in the bottom left, so the low inflation, low growth scenario, and Peter Schiff is in the bottom right, which is um, high inflation, low growth. So they're they're both pretty bearish guys. Uh, but they've got different uh, thoughts about where we're going and why. Would that? Would you think that's fair? Or yeah, I mean, if 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 you're in the Jeff Snyder camp and someone's offering you thirty year bonds at ten percent US dollars, mm. US dollar thirty year bonds at ten percent, you're grabbing it. Yep. 
you know, you're, you're getting as many of them as you can. Whereas if you're um, Schiff and someone's saying US dollars, 30 yes. years at 10%, it's like, it's going to be worthless. I'm not buying that. We're going to have, you know, US dollars going to be worthless and inflation's going up much higher than 10%. So they'd be buying, they'd be viewing the exact same asset incredibly differently based on their worldviews. Yes, yes. And, and it is actually, it's interesting because in, in that sort of low inflation, low growth scenario, what you want to do is you want to fix in or have, you know, get, get your long dated treasury bonds paying a, you know, a fixed rate of return, mm. um, nice and safe. You know, inflation's going to be low. Um, there's no point investing in the stock market or anything else because growth's going to be a bit rubbish anyway. Um, so that's a good investment. But um, if you if you're in the sort of Peter Schiff camp, that's that's total rubbish because you're going to get high inflation and low growth. Yeah. So you're going to fix in this rate, and then inflation's just going to eat away the currency, which is exactly what what. Um, what Andy was saying with the with the two different perspectives. So you want to go for a for a you know something that's uh, you know uh, fixed in like so you in a high inflation environment you're more likely to go for something like gold mm. um, or a precious metals something like that where there's a fixed supply mm. um, and it's not the value of it's not going to get eroded away. Mm. Um, I guess I'd flick back to Andy and go, but. You know, if you do have a deflationary scenario, it looks like the central banks, central banks across the world, have got, you know, one. Um, uh, you know, what, what was Bernanke's? You know, um, we have a technology called a printing press, or today's electronically equivalent. We can create as many dollars as we want at virtually no cost. Uh, yeah. So the the Jeff Snyder position is that the there's no printing press, and that's all BS. Um, the central banks put deposits in actual banks, bank accounts, right? And then those actual banks can lend and, and do um, leverage lending. Um, what's that called? Where they leverage it like eight times their assets? Oh, like yeah, fractional, fractional reserve. reserve. So, yeah, that, yeah the, the banks can do fractional reserve lending. Mm. Um, the central banks shore up the balance sheets of actual banks mm. Um, and the idea is that then they'll do fractional reserve lending mm. and put heaps of money in the system. Yep. But the actual banks aren't. They're just sitting on the money. Yep. So they're, they're awash with cash. They can lend heaps and heaps of money, but they're not yep. because they don't want to take the risk. Yep. So even even if they can lend and get some return, yep. they're like, well, we'd rather return of our capital rather than return on capital. Yep. So, so all this money printing yep. was... BS, effectively. Yeah. So, the fiscal so, so, stuff might be different, so, but the, 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 yeah, the, what, what was traditionally money printing, quantitative easing, all that sort of stuff didn't do anything. It just sat on bank balance sheets and banks didn't lend. So there's no, none of these massive amounts of money in the system. So, so, so what he's kind of saying, and you can correct me if this is not right, is that there is actually a whole lot of money there. It's just got no velocity because it's just on the, the bank's balance sheets. Yeah. May as well be under my mattress. Yeah. 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 So it's not, it's not circulating. Yeah. Um, so, you know, money that's not circulating can't affect, uh, prices, can't devalue the, the other currency out there. Yeah. That sort of thing. Yeah. Mm. Um, and the other thing is, um, the, the demand for US dollars, there's a massive demand for US dollars in the Euro dollar system mm. because US dollars is the most pristine form of collateral or US bonds or something, but some US dollar type asset is the most pristine collateral. So, it's all these deals. Oh, you know, you hold this as collateral, and and you lend me that, and <laughs> blah blah blah. And there's all these like swaps and trades and derivative 
things going around. Mm. But ultimately, the pristine thing is um, either US dollars or US treasuries or something. Mm. So whenever the economy is looking bad, there's a rush to these US dollar type things because that's the most pristine collateral. And that's what everything's based on, that collateral. And if that collateral is not there, everything just collapses. Yeah. So so apparently that's why you're seeing a rush for these um, US dollar instruments because they're expecting bad things and people are trying to get their hands back on their good collateral. But but isn't, isn't the result – like so if you ever have – uh, a sort of a low growth deflationary scenario isn't the reaction of central banks going to be or or whether it's central banks or probably um, governments is to run governments will run deficits and central banks will fund them yeah so um, so basically that the the new money you know the central banks will enter the government bond market and start buying stuff and the the federal government will be able to sell as many Bonds with as it as it needs to um, to run whatever programs it wants, and so it won't need to. I can run a, a big deficit, so I can collect not very much in taxes, and then spend a lot more than it's collecting. Isn't that sort of the reaction? Isn't that the standard playbook that you'd expect that would would end that kind of scenario? And that that's fiscal stimulus, yeah. right? Yeah. Well, I mean. I guess one might say, how much has that been happening and, and what about Japan as well? Okay. So, I mean, Japan's been doing fiscal, haven't they? Uh, yeah, I've got an answer for that. If you, sorry, have you finished that? Uh, yeah, I just, I mean, the, it looks like um, the, you, can, you can have fiscal stimulus without wages going up, without a lot of prices of things going up and, and Japan has been doing this for donkey's years. And and even post GFC, you could argue that I mean we've had asset price inflation, but um, lots of other things haven't gone up much or at all. Okay, so wages and- my my answer for for that is I'm going to steal from Luke Groman from Forest for the Trees. That's what I wanted to talk about next. Oh, did you? So what a good segue. Oh, okay. So but no, good. do do Groman yeah. and then we can yeah, talk. Yeah, yeah, okay, cool. So so uh, Luke Groman argues that that the so Japan's a different case to the United States. So Japan is basically an exporting country um, and it's also had this deflation problem for years and years and years, um, Which the, so the government's been running deficits to build highways to nowhere or, you know, a whole lot of, whole lot of fiscal and monetary stimulus, so running deficits and, you know, zero interest rates, um, quantitative easing to try and keep things moving. Uh, but we haven't had an inflation outbreak there in in you know thirty years, um, and and he's kind of saying, well, uh, you know, Japan's an example of where where you know it it kind of you know governments can try and stimulate things, but if the money just gets stuck in the banks uh, or gets stuck in people's savings accounts and things like that, then you still end up with no inflation. Um, so Roman says that the United States is a bit different to that. In that, um, so Japan's runs a current account surplus, so it's basically exporting more than it's importing. Um, and while at the same go- time the government is running a deficit, so it's got a, 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 a surplus of trade, but a government deficit. Um, now, Groman says that if you have a country that runs a government deficit and a trade deficit, you'll end up with Argentina, not Japan. So you'll end up with um, a, a country that, that basically has 
currency problems because they they need to they need to import, um, and the government is not collecting enough in, in taxes, um, so the money supply keeps growing. Okay, um, yeah, and and I I might not have represented just not perfectly, but that's, yep. that's basically the argument that the the euro dollar is um, mm-hmm. what you're going to be looking at, and and that's where the big transactions that affect the world are and, and the central banks are, are pretty toothless ultimately and just mm. performative, kind of like the wizard in The Wizard of Oz. Mm. But, but I mean, it's it's an interesting point because I think – so we've got two ways that money can be created, whether it's through the fractional reserve system, which is just basically banks lend out more money than they actually have on deposit mm. effectively um, – because you can imagine if you look at all the home loans out there, that's not a whole lot of people have got like hundreds of thousands of dollars in bank accounts and the, the bank just, you know, lends that money out to people who want home home loans. Mm-hmm. They've, they've, that's actually um, – there's actually more money out there on loan than is um, deposited in banks, if that makes sense. Yes. Um, and when that money's repaid – so it's created when the loan is, is uh, created um, – and when it's repaid, the money is kind of destroyed. So you have this kind of um, uh, leveraging flow where money comes back in and is just is destroyed at the same time as people are taking out new loans. So the it kind of keeps the system stable. Yeah, okay. But if you had a situation uh, where people stopped taking out new loans and people kept paying their loans, all the money would disappear. Um, Whoa. Because, because there's more money out on loans, right? yeah. Than there is on deposit, yeah. Um, and when so when when they when so if you go to go to the bank to get a loan, mm. it's not like they've got all the money sitting there in the yes. account. Um, they the the new they, they actually create the money for the loan. They, this is a lot. This is I'm dumbing this down a little bit, um, and it's a little bit complicated with the fractional reserve system. But um, basically, um. So there's more money out on loans, but if you have a situation where loans are repaid, so the net amount of debt out mm. there actually comes down, yes, the money in the system will come down because the money was created, yeah, okay, for right. the loan, yep, and then as it's repaid, it's then again then destroyed, and the thing that keeps things stable is that you have someone else who's taken out another loan, which is newly created money, yep, at the same time as the other loans are being paid off and that money is being destroyed, so you've got a sort of an equilibrium. Mm. But if you have a situation where no one takes out new loans and people keep repaying the loans, eventually they'll become un- unpayable because there won't be the money in the system uh, to, to actually repay the debt. Mm. And, and the same thing with um, with the with central banks and quantitative easing. Like say, for instance, the US Federal Reserve's got about $9 trillion. Sorry, what is it? Is it $9 trillion on the balance sheet? Does that sound right? Yeah, I, I don't know. I think it's about nine trillion, just under nine trillion dollars on there. On yeah, it does the, sound right now that you say it. Yeah, because it was um, like five before COVID or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and um, basically, what what that what that means is that they have created nine trillion dollars and gone out and basically bought bonds, mm. and the balance sheet is that all those all those bonds on the balance sheet. Um, if they were to do nothing and just let those bonds mature. Say it's the government. Say they're government bonds. The government actually has to raise taxes in order to pay that money back to the Federal yeah. Reserve, yeah. Um, and then the Federal Reserve would then destroy it again. 
if that makes sense. Um, so you could you could if if the if the Federal Reserve did nothing, yeah, and just let all the bonds on its balance sheet mature, it would basically destroy nine trillion dollars worth of worth of money, mm. uh, because all that money would have to be paid back. Yeah, um, and obviously that's none of this is actually going to happen, um, but it's it's an it's an interesting sort of thought process because we've got this debt based system where. Um, you know, if you don't create new money, the whole thing like kind of collapses in a heap. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. The the idea is for every debit, there's a credit. So if if you extinguish a, a credit, you have to extinguish the debit as well, and and ultimately that's just less. We'll call it money in the system. Yeah. Um, the uh, I'm not I'm not trying to stitch you up here, James. Um, you you did that thing about money. Um, and banks and lending yeah. and, and fractional reserve yeah. and all that. Um, and you did it in a, in a simplified way. But so I, I, know, I know you weren't like oblivious to, yeah. to concepts that you haven't mentioned. Yeah, yeah. Um, would Peter Schiff call that which was lent in fractional reserve banking money? No. Okay, and why is that? Well, uh well, Peter Schiff wouldn't call uh, the like Federal Reserve notes money for starters. Okay, because he'd call gold gold money. All right. Well, would, would 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 someone else call that which was lent in fractional reserve lending money? Yeah, I think I think your your you know your person on the street and me in normal conversation would call that money. Is it, but it's it's not money either though, right? Like it's oh, it's credit. The, Is that the banks mean? had money? Yeah. And then they created yeah credit mm. or something. So we, mm. we 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 refer to money, but it's not. It's a money derivative a lot of the times, and it's derived from money. So I mean the 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 money in the system versus the 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 amount of money in the system might be like one tenth of the amount of credit in the system. Yes, yes. And and we're different. mostly transacting on credit. But, it's just a, it's just a nuance. Um, while we're using the word money, we may as well. But, but if someone came along and bought your house yeah, from, they, with borrowed money, yeah. you'd go, "Sweet, I've got all this money in my bank account." Yeah, yeah, so, yeah I would. So and, all, and, and it would be usage. exactly the same as any other any other money in the system. So yeah, because every dollar's fungible. Yeah. Every dollar's exactly the same as every other dollar. Yeah, I'd say I've got all this money in my bank account as opposed to I've got all this credit in my loan to the bank. Yep. Because yeah, my bank account is a loan to the bank. This is getting a little bit complicated. Well, not really. But, I mean, we, we, we raised it before, but anyway, just, just, just as a point. Um, all right. And, I, mean, I know you're aware of all that anyway, but for the, for the no, audience, no, that's that's, um, that's any clarification is is good. Just an interesting side note too. I mean, if we're getting nerdy into yeah. this technical stuff, may as well be like you know, well, is it even money? Um, so, uh, Luke Groman. I, I, I would need to brush up on my Groman a bit, so maybe we'll do this as a team effort. Okay. <laughs> what's what's Groman's argument? Well, uh, so, I mean, he would – he's, to me, is more in the Peter Schiff camp. Uh, he's more towards um, we're likely to end up with um, with an inflationary outcome. Um, and I guess it just kind of comes down to, um, you know, the, the federal government is running big deficits. There's not really any sign that the, 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 the you know, the US federal government will be able to balance a budget any time in the future. Uh, they're still running, um, 
you know, trade deficits. And if you have a situation where the only way that those can be, you know, you're basically having to create new dollars to um, to enable that system to run or otherwise you've got to have a big recession because the federal government's got to massively raise taxes and people have got to stop spending as much. If you're Luke Groman, these must be the most exciting times of your life <laughs> with the theory because P- Peter Schiff sees gold as the <laughs> ultimate money. <laughs> Groman, I don't want to misquote him, but he's mad into energy being the ultimate yeah. unit of exchange. Oil is energy, for example. So everything requires energy. Gold is this barbarous relic that's useless. Um, oil's useful widgets, and without it, nothing happens. Without energy, nothing happens, right? Like if the universe had no energy, then what, what have you got? That's just the end point of entropy, right? Is that the right thing, entropy? The winding down of energy in the universe? And anyway, so you need energy for stuff to happen in the world. Um, we're expending energy by talking right now for example. Um, so whatever it is, energy is the basic thing. That's that's what the um, Transformers were fighting over, right? Those giant energy cubes. So they, they knew what was going on, like like Luke Groman does. Um, and the US dollar, if it's a, a petrodollar, um, backed by Saudi oil, for example, energy, then that creates a demand for the dollar. And any, any current, any countries that have commodities, especially energy commodities, like actual things, are in a a greater state of wealth effectively than countries that don't have them, when it all comes down to it. Um, And America has a lot of these dollars in the world and and they're supported by the demand for, for various commodities that are traded in US dollars. But if you shifted the trade of those things away from US dollars, all of a sudden it's like, well, we didn't actually want the US dollars. We wanted the bloody oil. Mm. We, know, we only <laughs> used US dollars because we had to. Yeah. And it was convenient. If it's not convenient <clears throat> anymore, if we're using, you know, ren, renminbi or Swiss francs or, 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 you know, some ruble basket, then so mm. be it. We don't need the US dollars anymore. And all of a sudden the, the value of the US dollars just, the, the demand is gone. There's, there's a massive supply, but zero demand or minimal demand. So the US dollar collapses. I think that's, uh, the, the Groman-esque argument. And, and on top of that, um, there's this thing that the US can't raise interest rates because they have so much debt that for them just to pay the interest, I think, they don't collect enough in tax receipts. Or no, is that? Or maybe that's not it. It's, it's their obligations, like paying pensions yep. and all the stuff. So the government makes promises to the population, like, you know, we'll have hospitals for you, you'll have pensions um if you're a public servant you get pensions um social welfare all these things the government promises and the tax receipts aren't enough at the moment to cover them so they borrow but they have all this debt they have to pay interest on and as as the interest rate rises on that debt or if the interest rate were to rise on that debt then it makes it harder for them to pay off the debts because interest rates are higher it's easy to pay off debts with low interest rates, but with high interest rates, it's harder to pay off the debts. And on top of that, the economy slows down, which means you're getting less, fewer mm, tax yeah. receipts mm. as well. So all of a sudden, the tax receipts you were reliant on to pay for your debts, and the debts are higher. They're more costly debts with <clears> higher interest rates, but you've got fewer money coming in, yeah, that, fewer that, dollars coming in, less money coming in. That, that's it's actually- fewer Game of Thrones addict. You know, the shipping guy always corrects people. Man, I've never fewer. watched that show in my life, hey? Oh, really? Yeah, man. 
Man, uh, you could totally binge on it right now and we won't yeah. see you for like a month or maybe a week. It depends. Yeah, right. You is can, it, is you it can, on any you can streaming binge platforms? It. Yeah. Yeah, you can, you can binge it. In a, I think it's on binge actually. Oh. <laughs> there you go. Um, <laughs> you, can, you can binge like a season in a, in a day, but I mean, yeah. Just getting eight, eight days. <laughs> getting back to it. Um, uh, no, but I think that's a, a good point because that's it, true that you, you – I mean, the Keynesians are very much – um, you know, you you run a a budget deficit through the cycle. So yeah. when when you're in a downturn, you you run a budget deficit in order to pump more money into the economy. And then when you're when the economy recovers and it's you know a bit of a boom, you take money out so it doesn't get out of out of control. Mm-hmm. Um, so you'd run a budget deficit through a downturn, and you'd run a budget surplus um, through an upturn. Um, but what's interesting is say with the the U.S. government, and I think this is true all over the world, not just not just in the United States. You know, uh, but you know, we've we've been running budget deficits when we've had you know positive economic growth. Um, but say going back to the the U.S., they've got a very big budget deficit. If they have a an economic downturn, they're going to have a bigger budget deficit. Um, and there's also this question of you know if there's still inflation. They could still have higher interest rates, so the only way that they can fund this deficit, short of basically cutting cutting a lot of things, mm. uh, is is more kind of printed money. Yeah. Um, so you could end up with a you know a much larger you know larger supply of money, and then falling. You know, you get to this death spiral where um, you know inflation goes up, interest rates have to have to go up. Um, but the money's losing value, so your currency's falling, so you're getting more inflation. So you have to have higher interest rates. And do, do you know what I mean? You, you get get to that that spiral where you're having to kind of uh, you know print more money to keep things going, but that causes more inflation. Yeah, yeah. It's reflexive uh, in in George Soros language. That's a reflexive um, thing. Mm. I was just going to say because you're talking about uh, energy as the master input. Um, Chris Martinson, have you listened? Okay, Chris Martinson. You should listen to Chris Martinson. Um, he, How would I find such a man? Oh, he's on YouTube. <laughs> okay. You could use Google. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So um, not Spotify? He's, he doesn't podcast? Uh, I, I, I don't know. I don't know if I could have respect for anyone who doesn't podcast now that we podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, but he's uh, big on, he calls it the three E's, um, uh, sort of energy, the economy, and the environment, and is basically you've got to have all three of those running. If you don't have all three of those running, you've got a big problem. Mm. Um, one thing he's quite big on is things like energy, um, like the energy input of accessing energy. So, um, say for instance, you have a you know you want to dig up some oil. There's a certain amount of energy that you've got to use in order to get that oil. Yep. And and some of that energy will actually be oil itself because you've got to, to, you know, transport the oil to somewhere. You've got to, you know, have all the equipment that's created to, um, to you know, to dig the holes and the yep. – um, But uh, there's like say, for instance, with um, like a Saudi Gawa, you know, elephant oil field, apparently the energy return is like 100 to 1 on that that kind of oil field. So you'll get yeah, for every right. every barrel of oil that you yeah. use to 
um, to try and get oil out, you'll get 100 barrels out. Yeah, okay. Um, and we get moving towards lower and lower returns on energy as, as we use up the um, more conventional oil fields. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think it's, it's sort of like, um, you know, Canadian oil sands might be sort of, you know, five or seven to one sort of thing. Yeah, where are we? Um, and once you get to – because, I mean, there's a lot of – obviously a lot of oil there, but it's just – it takes a lot of energy to get it out. Yeah. Um, and once you move to something, something like, you know, if you get to about three to one, then you kind of, you're using so much energy just to get the energy mm. that everything else in the economy kind of has to shut down because there's no, no surplus left over, um, in order to, you know, have, have the nice things. Yeah. It's kind of like you're using all your energy to, you know, get your food yeah. and get your energy. Yep. There's nothing left over yep. to do anything else. I like that framework a lot. How much energy is this energy costing me? And ultimately, the biggest um, margin you can get on that is is the best outcome. Yeah, and so, that's uh, a yeah, sim- re- simple determinant for the entire global and human experience. Yeah. From you know day dot, how much energy is this energy costing me? How much energy am I expending to chase this um, animal? Mm-hmm. Will I get enough um, kilojoules yep. to make it worth my while? And and the the bigger Gap. It cost me no kilojoules to get a ton of kilojoules. Yeah. Um. That that that's obviously a big win, and that's wealth. And yes. The, the, yes. The, the the less energy expended to get the most energy is the the most wealth and best outcome, and that's yeah. that's the potentially the driving force between all human action. And, and it gets away from that, you know, how many dollars a barrel type argument. Oh, you know, if the price goes up, then it'll be fine, because mm. um, you know that'll solve the problem. Um. But it it if you get to a point where, you know, you you know, you you actually can't get enough energy. You're going to use so much energy in order to because you you may have to say if you're using Canadian oil sands, the amount mm. of energy that you need to use to get the same amount of energy out as Gawa is, yeah. is massively larger. Yes. Um. So you'll get to a point where it doesn't matter what the price is because you're not actually getting anything out of it. If it's costing you two barrels of oil to get a barrel of oil, you're yeah. not doing it. Yeah. Uh, this is the Arch Druid Report guy's mm. argument um, that we can't we're, – we're past the point of no return mm. and, and all this sustainable future is just BS. It's mm. going to cost more energy mm. than the energy we're going to get from sustainable, renewable stuff. That was actually the thing I was going to ask. Mm. So like in terms of that, that energy return rate, um, like do, do, uh, do you have any uh, – do you know any figures on on like a renewable energy project? Like in comparison to that, what was it was it Gua uh, oil field compared to like a solar farm or a wind farm? Um, or I I don't, but <clears throat> but it's it's definitely the case that um, you know the, um, oil is very and fossil fuels are very energy dense. Yeah, um, so they've served us very well. Yep. and it's very hard to replace them. I think it's also kind of uh, – it's a little bit more complicated because I think that we we also can use different energy sources. Mm. And, for instance, if you can move a lot of your economy towards electricity, yep. um, electricity is less connected to oil, although, uh, you know, Andy's going to say, well, how much oil do you need to make an uh, you know, a, a solar panel or a wind farm or whatever, and the answer is, yeah, you need a lot of oil to do that. Um, yeah. But you know, if you can move as much of your economy as possible onto electricity, 
uh, then you can you can move it to a um, you know something where, which is less energy intense to create the energy. Let, let's say that the world right now uses X joules of energy per day for everything, right? And that's oil, electricity, food, whatever. X joules per day to keep the game going. Um, if it if it costs X plus something joules um to so 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 if 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 one joule of energy costs less than a joule of energy then you've got growth and if if one joule of energy costs more than a joule of energy you've got decline so it, it could be the case that um transitioning to a, an electric economy will cost more joules of energy than the electric economy will the electric um sources will produce so it might it might to to get to get all these joules from solar panels might cost more joules than the solar panels will ever produce it might take more joules of energy to make all these solar panels than the solar panels will ever produce it might take more joules of energy to create wind farms than the wind farms will ever produce uh, i don't know that's 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 the Irish dude report guy's argument Hopefully he's wrong because yeah. it means we're going to the Stone Age. No, 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 and and, and you have you, that'd be the end of civilization, mm. mass starvation, you know, yeah, et cetera. yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's a really I, I like that framework a lot. Mm. How much energy does this energy cost? Because mm. mm. I remember that like uh, when I was still on social media, that was one of the one of the memes that would get chucked around a lot. Uh, where uh, uh, it would show like a, a wind turbine, mm. but it's like oh, you could you need. This much aluminium, which yep. takes this much heat to to deal with the steel and all that sort of stuff, but oh, I never did any further research than those shitty memes. So. Yeah, well, the cool thing will be that in the future they'll have um, satellites that beam solar power from space to Earth. That'd be mad. That'd be super dope. Just sick mirrors or something. Yeah, something like that. That's that's the future. And 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 maybe geothermal as well. <clears throat> if um if you can drill down to the Earth. Was that core. a thing in SimCity? And then the, the satellite would get out of line and burn your city up. <laughs> never, never played it at a bit above age twelve. So, so I haven't played it for twenty eight. Shit, that was last week. Thirty eight. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say, had to go on the weekend. <laughs> um, so, so we've got Peter Schiff, who has a podcast and other stuff, and he he would say buy gold. We've got um, and Jeff- why, why is that? Because he's saying. Because of inflation. Yeah, say, saying low growth, high inflation. Yeah, yeah. okay. Um, Jeff Snyder, who uh, has the Eurodollar University and he, he can be found on, on podcasts and YouTube, S-N-I-D-E-R. Um, and, and he, I'm going to put words in his mouth, would say buy long-dated US bonds probably. Yep, yep. So, um, so what sort of, what's a long date like? 10, 20, Yeah, 30. that sort of thing, yeah. yeah. Probably longer that, the better. I guess it depends what the euro dollar is indicating. Yeah. It's probably, if, you're, if euro dollar is saying, you know, low interest rates, then probably is going to be an environment that, that warrants low interest rates. Not definitely, but probably. Mm. So you probably do well buying long duration bonds if, if the interest rate's decent. So I'm uh, just putting those words in his mouth. And uh, then you've uh, got Luke Groman. Yep. And he's Forest for the Trees and he, he can be found on uh, – Jeff Snyder is on Twitter too, as is Peter Schiff um, and Luke Groman. Um, and he, he'd be saying, I'll put words in his mouth, um, buy energy, oil. Yep. Yep. Probably, yep. right? Yep. Um, and then we'll do um, S- Santiago Capital. 
sorry, just before we go, just and and just to point out that they're they're contradictory um, things. So so by Snyder saying, you know, he he would theoretically like you know U.S. Treasury bonds. Um, that's the exact opposite of what Peter Schiff would say, and mm. Snyder would say you don't want to touch gold if we're in a low growth, low yeah. inflation, or you know, negative, you know, depression type yeah. scenario. So, so they they are actually contradictory, which is interesting. Yeah, and then you got Brett Johnson from Santiago Capital of Dollar Milkshake fame. So the dollar milkshake theory is it's a bit similar to the euro dollar thing. Like there's a there's a link there. Um, they, I think they occurred independently of each other, um, the, the, the theories the guys came up with. But the dollar milkshake is basically that um, there's all this US dollar debt in the system. Um, basket case economies don't borrow on their own currency because the lenders know they can just print it to pay it back. They say, we'll lend to you, but we'll lend to you in US dollars. And then those countries need to pay back in US dollars, and when they don't, they default, and and the bondholders get screwed or whatever. But it's 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 better than lending in Zimbabwe currency and just having the Zimbabwe currency printed in aggregate. Obviously, if they default, it's not. Um, anyway, so there's all this debt in the world, um, governments, uh, corporations, whatever, in in US dollars, and that has to be paid back at some point, and that places an ongoing demand for US dollars and when when the Pied Piper wants to get paid, when the lender wants to get paid and not roll over the debt because they see rolling over the debt as too risky for them, they say they want to get paid, you need to come up with US dollars. So in, in economic decline, in downturns, in, in risk-off environments, you have a massive demand for US dollars because people are saying, I don't want to roll over this debt, I want my US dollars. And it's it's like musical chairs in a way, but there's all these people in the room but not enough chairs to sit down on. Uh, all these people who need to pay US dollars but not enough US dollars available for them to actually pay the debts. And and, and that puts extreme demand on US dollars and, and, and that, that sucks all the money out of the system towards US dollar to get those US dollars that are required. And, and on top of that, um, then if people are getting any assets that aren't US dollars, they'll probably be US dollar denominated assets like the US stock market. So all these other stock markets will be the least interesting markets because people want only US dollar related things. And everything just sucks towards the demand for US dollars, and that's that's the dollar milkshake theory. Yeah. And you can see, say, in the the two thousand eight financial crisis, and also say in the twenty twenty COVID mm. thing, um, that US dollar rallied strongly, mm. um, and part of that seems to be, oh, you know, we're going from everything's good to everything's bad. Let's worry about our debt. Oh, we better we've got to pay our debt. Um, and so all the US dollars effectively flow home. And we'll sell gold to pay the debt. Yeah. And and what are we seeing at the moment? US dollar strengthening, gold dropping. Maybe there's a dollar milkshake um, explanation behind that. Or, or, or the um, Jeff Snyder thing, euro dollar thing as well, maybe. Mm. But more dollar milkshakey. Mm. So so um, for, for the Brett Johnson, then... I guess the asset class you want is US cash. If the dollar milkshake's happening, 
Every, everything stuck in towards US that, dollars. But, but, but yes. Um, and, 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 and what I like, oh, sorry, if you want to no, do no, more. No. This, who we've discussed, it's, it's, you know those Seinfeld episodes where all the little plot lines merge together mm. and, and it's always a good feeling at the end and you're like, these guys write a really good show. That's, that's, <laughs> that's some great TV. <laughs> so we've got um, Peter Schiff. Mm-hmm. If his theory is right, you buy gold. Yep. You've got Jeff Snyder. Yep. If his theory is right, you buy long-dated US bonds. <laughs> I see where this is going, yeah. <laughs> You've got Luke Groman. Yep. If his theory is right, you buy energy, oil, yep. for example. And if the dollar milkshake guy, Brett Johnson's right, then you buy US cash. So when Pawan said, what's a good portfolio? <laughs> then there you go. One quarter in each of that, and you've covered those four theories. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> and... So, like, in terms of, like, just having just those four or you would have, like... Well, they're the four asset classes, right? Like, yeah. if, 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 if these four theories, if each, each theory has its preferred asset class, right? Yeah. And that's, um, if you, obviously, Peter Schiff won't be in all those four asset classes. Mm. He's, he's big on one. And, and yeah. the various others are probably favouring... So, you wouldn't worry about shares? Their preferred asset class. Sorry, what's that? So, you wouldn't put shares in there? Well, um, not, not, if, not if these guys... if. Each of these guys have their theories, mm. and if each of their theories is right, then there's a, a, a perfect asset class to hold yeah, for that, okay. and shares isn't in it um, in this particular thing. Mm. Just to clarify, though, that as well, that, that the perfect asset class for one person is actually the worst one for another. Mm. So it's uh, it's almost like a, a cancel-each-other-out strategy. Gold versus US dollars, <laughs> Like yeah, 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 so US dollars worthless. Yeah, so so so, uh, so 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 buy gold. US dollars worthless. So buy oil, and then on the other hand, well, uh, in my other quadrants, I've got long dated bonds <laughs> at, at pretty crappy interest rate and cash. So yeah, they all all cancel each other out. But <laughs> anyway, that's yeah, that's that's a that's a all weather portfolio in some ways. It just cancels each other out. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's, end up with the same, same money. That's it's it's interesting though because it's, how do you preserve wealth though? Like it's like mm. I want to preserve wealth, right? Mm. Um, that portfolio, even if it cancels out, doesn't drop. Whereas if you hold cash, and you're wrong about cash, if you if you hold cash and Peter Schiff's right, cash drops. Mm. If you hold gold and Peter Schiff's wrong, and and Brent Johnson's right, for example, so yeah, they, they offset each other in some ways. Yeah, 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 no. So it's that, a hedging, that, hedging strategy. That's interesting. Yeah. I mean, uh, it's it's interesting because um, the say the asset class that has been in favour, which is things like um, say US tech or or more speculative US tech and and Bitcoin and and you know all these these more speculative assets. What do you what do you think in terms of how because do they still have a place in in any of those theories? Uh, I I I don't know enough. Um, I mean, in 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 inflationary stuff, in inflationary environments where there's growth, then software, anything that you can manufacture digitally, is effectively costless reproduction, right? The, the to to make an extra um, Microsoft Office doesn't cost you anything. You just press a button and it appears. You duplicate it. But to make an extra car, you have all these real world inputs. So 
software where you can adjust the pro- uh, software in a boom environment yep. and that's inflationary is a sweet thing to have that's yep. a good investment so on the in theory yeah on on the or, yeah on the flip side of that value managers might say okay that might be true of the you know the sort of bellwether stocks you know that have got you know really deep moats and things like this but a lot of these speculative things which require um, more money coming in to produce their product um, you know, the say, you know, the Ubers of the world or the, you know, the the, the companies that are, you know, not, not profitable but need, uh, you know, Twitter or, or, you know, these kind of tech companies that um, uh, actually need more funds to be fed in would would find it more difficult in, if there was a high interest rate environment. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, they would because they're not profitable. Mm. Yeah. And, and money would probably become tight and you'd see a bunch of them having their prices collapse because people think they might go to business before they actually expand to a size that makes them profitable and monopolies and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. So, so what do you think about um, – do you think this has similar similarities to the tech, you know, 2000 tech boom and bust where it moved from – we moved from, um, you know, say US tech, you know, high dollar, uh, you know, US speculative tech – and then it moved into a resources boom and it moved into a more inflationary environment uh, with the resources boom. Well, I'm in, I'm in the Jeff Snyder camp that, yeah. that sees deflation, even though I'm in heavily commodities. <laughs> um, it's because just because I think Jeff Snyder right doesn't make Jeff Snyder right. Um, and at the same time, I think uh, a, a well-valued um, a portfolio of good-valued stocks will, will do well in the long run. Yeah. Um, so... Uh, I mean, I, I think I called bef- like my my prediction that we'd have deflationary stuff before, um, but I, I think long term there'll still be demand for commodities. And and I was talking to you on the yeah. on the way here, James. And my 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 speculation would be that we have deflationary stuff happening, mm. and then eventually you do get fiscal and and actual money printing. Yeah from the central banks and that becomes inflationary and could potentially be hyperinflationary or, or stagflationary or whatever. Mm. I think I think we have um we have a, a downturn mm. in stuff yep. and then that leads to a panic that then results in money entering the system fiscal yep. policy probably. Yeah. Um, and and that could be deflationary. Yeah. I mean to to me there's so much sorry de- inflationary yeah. in the long run. So but 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 for me like I bought assets like my like you know mines and oil or whatever, and they they produce in the lower quartile. Yeah, yeah. So heaps of other businesses that produce these commodities have to go bust. Yeah, first. yeah. So like low cost producers. Yeah, yeah, and and the best and and the balance sheets are, are fine as far as I'm concerned. I mean, I'd rather no debt, but they have got pretty good balance sheets. Mm. So so the risk of them going bust, I I'm not seeing unless there's mm. outliers yeah. that that I can't see. But they look fine, and and they made like my my copper mine that I've got heaps of money in. That they were making profits even at um you know two dollars something yep. copper. Yeah. So, and and then you can also get accounting losses. Yep. Whilst cash flow gains. Yes. So I, I depreciate my asset. That's an accounting loss, mm-hmm. but the cash flow I got yep. is actually meaning my bank account goes up, even though on on. On accounting 
running yep. at a loss because I've depreciated the mine by $20 million, but I've got $30 million cash flow. Mm. Obviously, that can't last forever. But I, I think the cure for low prices in commodities is low prices in commodities because eventually yep. there's an undersupply. Yep. And and then the price goes up heaps yeah. because there's not enough around, mm. and and the demand is increased again, and that's that's a commodity cycle, isn't it? There's undersupply, yeah. and price skyrockets, and there's oversupply, and price collapses, mm. and, and that's a cycle. I I think um, copper will be a, a good uh, commodity play in the longer term because I think there is all this move towards electrification mm. and. I read a thing or heard a thing saying you shouldn't invest five years out because you don't know what's going to happen in five years. Just invest 12 months out and, you know, stick with that and it probably makes sense. Um, and and my, um, my copper stocks like less is down more than 50% at the moment and that's that's where the bulk of my um, money is in the portfolio. I, I look at that and obviously – and I'm like, well, in five years, copper is going to be a higher price. And like higher than the four dollars fifty US dollars that it was not long ago, I think it'll be higher than that because you're going to have more uh, demand for copper because of electrification. On top of that, the Russia situation mm. is telling countries, well, we don't want to be reliant on hydrocarbons. Yep. Like, who's the hydrocarbons? Um, Russia, mm. Iran, yep. Saudi Arabia. <laughs> Usually, countries yep. that the West isn't ideologically in tune with. Yeah, let's go with that. But, but even stuff like China and India are very, you know, they're big um, energy importers, and you know, it's strongly in their interest to electrify. And to have your yep. own energy supply yep. is a national security concern. Yep. Yes, if you're having to import energy, then you're you have a national security problem. So. Even even with you know what 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 will be uh, I expect you know recessionary downturn mm. stuff that that ultimately long run not right now for my share price absolutely <laughs> but long run that's bullish mm. for copper yep. because from a security perspective you have the um, the countries wanting to electrify mm. from a woke perspective and and an environmental perspective you have that mm. from a disrupted global supply chain perspective you have all these factories that need to be built in regions which means you're going to have surplus capacity everywhere effectively and and for that infrastructure you'll need copper and what was the other one there was some other one i, had, I mean, I mean it is, I it is also it. more efficient to to use electricity it's very easy to transport um you know it's it's much you know once you um say if you're able to set up a renewable system they can run for a long time with very little inputs compared to to fossil fuels, where you have to keep on getting the coal or keep on getting the oil. Yeah, the no. solar panel just sits there. The, yeah. the other thing is, um, if 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 you have a recessionary downturn and and the copper price, it's already like collapsed, really, like it's got hammered. But if it goes down more, then all of a sudden that puts a bunch of mines out of business, yeah. Yeah. and a bunch of mines that we're thinking of, yeah expanding don't expand and if interest rates goes up yep. go up then then that's also stopping expansion so uh, the, the downturn sows the seeds for the boom yep. in the future and and i think you've got these tailwinds which is um national security regionalization uh emerging india on top of that and um oh, i forgot the other thing as well but i, I did mention it before so anyway yeah so i'm, I'm and and for me i don't i don't know which which of these guys is right jeff um, if any, yeah, or if any, good point. Yeah, I mean, none of them might be right, but yeah, without knowing, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm Team Jeff. I'll, I'll say that. 
But look, I've got <laughs> copper and that's energy. So that's yeah. Team Groman. Yeah, yeah. And my copper mine, like most copper mines, produces precious metals. Yeah, yeah. So it's Team Schiff. <laughs> and then um, the who's the other guy that's missing from this? The 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 Brett Johnson. Yeah. Um, well, I don't know, but I like that guy's theory a lot. So, yeah. Uh, I'm I'm done. <laughs> no, that's that. I'm I'm good. All right. So, um, phone in and say which Seinfeld characters you think we are, <laughs> and and any questions you have. Um, actually, maybe this I'll leave this question for next week. But I just had a looking at. Uh, what to do with some some cash from my mum? So, looking at either buying some bonds or uh, the term deposits have gone up. Yep. Uh, I guess it's a quick question I'll ask you now. So, um, I've noticed that that uh, term deposits of uh, mums with Combank yep. and, and they they've gone up to for like a sixteenth month sixteen month one. It's yep. like two point five percent. Yep. And looking at uh, just investigating bonds here. So, any of the ones. Any of these bonds here that are listed on the ASX website, um, the ones that have any sort of like like higher return, the price on them is is, is much higher than their face yes. value. So, am I correct in assuming? So, say I've got one here that's you know four point seven five percent. Yep, that's the GSBG two seven. Yeah, so that's like oh, what's that's like four years from now, April twenty twenty seven expiry date. Five years from now, or something. Um, and so with a coupon rate of, of 4.75% and a last trade price of 109. So am I correcting in, 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 in saying that that's going to give me an equivalent return to that term deposit because of the price that you got to pay the premium over the top of the face value? Uh, you have to do a bit of math, but the takeaway is that you're, you're not, you are getting 4.75%, but you're paying – and you get $100 returned to you yeah. at the end, but you're paying more than $100 for yeah. the right to yeah, get 4.75%. Yeah. But, but that, that's effectively – so they've got – there's different measures of how um, you know, your return on your bond, mm. but you'll probably find, as, as you've said, the yield to maturity mm. or the effective – Return that you get on the money that you actually have to pay mm. is similar to a you know a term deposit of the of a similar um, yeah length in time. Um, they might not be because of you know term deposits aren't the same as bonds. Yeah, but um, but yeah, essentially that higher price is bringing the return yeah um, of the higher interest rate back down yeah to a more equivalent. Um, Right, and so what makes these these prices change? Is that because I read it was the price that you're paying sometimes is is the interest that's accrued already on oh, that? That's possible because you might yeah. buy say, say if there was nothing to do with changes of interest rates, but yeah. to say you buy a it's the same way as a, a stock before it goes um, ex dividend. Yeah. Um. So if you buy a bond the day before it pays the interest payment. Yeah. Then it's worth more than the day after the interest payment. So you're yeah. basically paying for the interest payment plus the capital, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. So the purchase price of the bond yeah. is higher pre interest payment than post interest payment, mm-hmm. typically. Yeah. Because the interest payment has been removed. So it should be bond price pre interest payment equals interest payment plus bond price. Post interest payment, but mm. but it should. It's the same way with like 
you know, without taking into account tax and things like that, but mm. um, should effectively, it shouldn't matter whether you buy it the day before it, it pays the interest or the day after. Yeah. One, you get, you pay a higher price yep. because you're including the interest you're about to get paid out. Mm-hmm. The If you buy it, the, buy it the day after the interest payment, you're not getting any accrued interest. You're just paying the mm-hmm. paying the uh, amount for just the, you know, the bond itself. Yeah. Um, and so with the, with the coupon rates, what – how are they dictated? And you know, the, 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 um, uh, like, do they go up and down? Like, so, in- so they'll be a, a fixed rate. But normally, what what happens is that that bond would have been issued whenever it was issued, yes. and that would have been a prevailing market type interest rate at that time. And, yeah, okay, and so, okay, okay. And consequently, you know, interest rates have moved, yeah. and consequently. That interest rate, because it's a high higher interest rate than you get for a, a bond now. Yeah, the price of the bond is higher. Yeah, because okay. people are like, oh, well, wow, I get a higher interest rate. Well, I'm prepared to pay a bit more for that. Yes, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So you end up kind of cancelling each other out. Yeah, I guess yeah. that's more what I was getting at yeah. in terms of like you know the one. Uh, so it happens at the time of issuing. So yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 Okay. Um, annuities also are worth looking. At. Is, is it? Is it? Is it? Um, uh, Secure type investments that that yeah 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 just just a, a sort of lump of cash that yeah. that um that um I guess we don't need immediate access mm. to but it, it's better than sort of letting it rot away at like half percent or something like yeah, that yeah well it depends I mean it really does depend on the person's financial situation mm. um and and old older people typically don't think oh I want to ride out a market cycle or in the <laughs> share market yeah they just want to know that. The, the living expenses they have can be covered. Mm. They're not trying to get rich. Yes. They're, they're winding down in life. Yeah. So it's it's not a – I don't think it's a bad thing at quotation marks rotting away in a bank account yeah. if someone wants quick and easy access to the money. Yes. And as long as the bank account pays when you need it, mm-hmm. it's pay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, putting – if someone had $20 million and it's rotting away in a bank account, then mm. maybe that money can do a bit more. Yeah. But – uh, an amount of money that sits there and, and can be used and readily accessed, um, you know, it, could, it could be a reasonably high amount of money for a retired person that mm. sits in a bank account. It's, it's not necessarily a bad thing that it does that. Yeah. I guess it's, you're looking for the right tool for the right job, and and obviously, yeah. you know, uh, you know, if you if you've got a motor vehicle and you've got a road, you know, mm. a car will do. But if, yeah. if you need to run through a field, maybe you need a, a tank or something like yeah. that. But, but, yeah, yeah. Um, well, I guess that, and that was sort of weighing up is like, you know, is it is it suitable just to leave it as it is, or should I? Should we look at something? It depends like that. what she wants from it. Like yeah. What 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 are her, what's the, what does she want the money to do? What outcome does she want from the money? If she wants to get rich, then obviously Ethereum. <laughs> <laughs> That's a joke. Yeah. No, I think it would like um, probably keep it, keep it a certain amount on hand. You know, enough to buy like a vehicle or something if. Um, you know, if 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 her current one was to, because for the most part, everything else is sorted out. Because there, there's, you know, there's various strategies that you can mm. use with, you know, if you're say say with, you know, defensive investments, you can use things like bond ladders, where yeah. you basically or term deposit ladders, where you um, have a number of term deposits and you keep investing them for the yep. longest term. So you start off with say. A five year, a four year, a three year, a two year, and a one year. Oh, so they keep and, sort of releasing them. Yeah, yeah. So every year, one of those will mature, and you get you get you have 
access to 20% of your money every year. Yep. And then you take that money and you invest that in, oh, so, yeah. th- back at the five years. So normally you get a higher rate the longer you're invested for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. so you, you would constantly have the mm-hmm. be, you, all your investments would end up being on the longest rate. Yeah, okay. Um, returns just that they're staggered through that. Yeah. Through that, you know, you got a five year, but that was invested one year ago, and a five year that was invested two years ago, and a five yep. year, and they're, so they're all five year rates, but they um, they mature each year. Yeah. Um, so there's there's various sort of strategies that you can use to make sure you've got some liquidity, but you're also trying to get the highest interest rate. Yep. Um, yeah. That you can access. And yeah. I guess if needs be, you can always sell the bond if it's a liquid bond market. Mm. Which, you know, Australian government bonds are liquid. Oh, that's also what I wanted to ask uh, about the bonds. So when I was looking on my on my trading account, uh, it looks like there was a lot of buyers, but no one in the selling column. Like what? Uh, like uh, same on my Westpac. That suggests it's not very liquid as a market. So is, is that literally mean? So like you know, because uh, I noticed particularly for the ones that had attractive coupon rates, uh, there'd be a lot of people in the buying column but like sometimes you know oh, yeah. really but, but is is that because um well, one are they are they things that are already on the market or are they newly are they things that are getting like as in is there a product provider or a, or a government issuing the bonds and they might not they they might be basically we are only going to hit any bids above this level yeah okay um and so it's it's possible that like say with um you know you might have something like a um, an ETF, and you yeah. and you have um, a whole lot of people wanting to buy it, but they're not actually hitting at a higher enough level yep. for the market maker to to put anything on the market. Yeah. Okay. Whereas if people if they put up the price, the market maker will go, okay, yeah, you can have as much as you want. Yeah. Okay. What beers the market maker? Uh, so the market maker is, uh, I guess a. F- Financial company that sits between the person or the company issuing the financial product and the buyers of buyers and sellers of the financial product, so that um, they can create more of yeah. the product or less of the product in order right. to meet supply and yeah. demand. Did, I, and, it- and, and they and, and they perform a function. You have a buy sell spread, so the gap between the buy price and the sell price price is a buy-sell spread, right? And in illiquid investments or, or assets that are traded, there can be massive gaps between the buy-sell spread. Um, BHP, the buy-sell spread might be one cent. There's a bidder and then there's a, there's a buyer and a seller and their the, the disagreement is a one cent disagreement on what the price should be when the price is like $44 or something. But a thinly traded stock might be an 80 cent stock and someone's willing to buy that for a dollar someone's willing to sell that for $1.20 and a buyer is saying, nah, 60 cents. And that's a 60 cent buy-sell spread. It's like half a share price effectively. Mm. So a market maker steps in in, in situations where, they, where there's a buy-sell spread and says we're willing to buy at certain prices and we're willing to sell at certain prices just to make sure the market's actually moving here. And, and, they, and they help with um, reasonable price discovery. Mm. A, an interesting thing with the bonds on on the stock market i bought australian government bonds on the stock market once um about five years ago i i was um i was killing it in the share market yeah. and then just started getting crazy ideas and like 
like staying up really <laughs> no. late and researching and just going, oh, what if I do this? What if I do that? And it's like, all right, you're about to lose your mind, Andy. You, I'm forcing you, and this is me talking to myself, um, I'm forcing you to buy government bonds with your money so you stop getting all these crazy ideas about investments. You've done pretty well this year. This is like kind of like a, a forced um, holiday from the markets. And, and, and it's a bit of annoying, there's transaction costs to buy and sell the bonds with brokerage fees and everything. Mm. So I put them, bought the bonds to just restrain myself. And these from were 100 year Argentine bonds. Yeah, no, right? they were Australian <laughs> government bonds of some sort, kind of like the ones Andre's looking at there. Uh, a, a thing I noticed when I was doing that though was there were, there were some bond pools, like particular bond codes, where there was just no activity, mm. but then other bond codes where there was heaps of activity. Mm. And that, that was interesting. So, like, you'd think all bonds would be equally as liquid. But they weren't. Like there were some with just no buys and sells interest and then another one that looks exactly the same with heaps of buy-sell interest. Mm. Um, when, when I sold my bond, there was actually a, a surprising buy-sell spread on it. Mm. So even though it was, say, worth 128, I ended up selling it for 127. Mm. Um, there wasn't that much of a market um, to, to, to get the, the like a one percent buy sell spread on bonds or whatever is pretty big, I think, for government bonds. But that's a, that end up being what happened when I traded it, and I was a bit annoyed that I took that one percent hit. But at the same time, I saw something bright and shiny and wanted to buy it. So um, yeah, but the, the, I bought bonds once as a just a way of controlling myself. Okay. Yeah. Uh, what I meant to ask before, so uh, I guess it, it, it's it's uh, a function of of the share trading that I think I'd been ignorant of. So with that buy and sell column, mm. so if there's nothing in the sell column, sold out or like, or everyone's hanging on to their stuff. Yeah, nothing you, in the sell column means there's no sellers. Yeah. And you can't, so you just can't buy them and you just, yeah. and the, yeah. Okay. But you could put a bid in. Yeah. There might be yeah. no sellers and you yeah. put a bid in yeah. and then all of a sudden sellers will magically appear. Yeah, yeah. Like for example, I'm not selling my house, right? Yeah. But if someone walks up to me and says, I'll give you $10 million for your house, all of a sudden I'm a seller. Mm. Yeah, right. So there's people keeping an eye on that sort of yeah. stuff, and they're like, "Oh, there's a bunch of people that want to buy. Maybe well, they sell my stuff." They talk about the black pools. Is that what it is? Dark the, pools. Yeah. Dark pools. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. yeah, and and they're um basically what are they? It's, it's it's these markets where you don't actually see it on the share on the mm. stock exchange, but there's all these traders that are just lurking in the shadows or something. Yeah, and, and, and you, you could have a situation where um there are uh, shares being exchanged somewhere else in a dark pool off the off the market yeah. and that they would notice that the price on the market or the you know the bid on the on the market has gone up and then they've gone oh well actually in this dark pool I can sell here and buy there or whatever and well, that that actually didn't make any sense whatever in terms of numbers there but anyway you, you know what I'm trying to say that they mm. they, they might have a, an arbitrage opportunity between the dark pool and the mm. and the market there are trading clubs outside of the stock market, effectively. Yep. Um, stock markets, I, I guess, what we see, but there's all this trading that takes place outside the stock market and those guys might be looking at the stock market and see an opportunity to buy or sell in the yeah. market and, yeah. and that creates liquidity, but but they're doing all this activity that we're not seeing. So trading outside meantime. of the market, so it would be like I talk to person X and make some sort of deal. Yeah, you can buy uh, some yeah. of my copper stocks at the price yeah. I pay for them. We can do, an, then, we can do an off-market share transfer on yeah, that. So I paid like $3.80 for my stocks. <laughs> yeah. 
and they're like, you know, half of that or thereabouts now. Yeah. So we can do an off-market transfer at an agreed price. Yeah. And and we just fill in the paperwork. And yeah. um, you'd be a fool to pay three eighty when you can buy it on the market for half the price. Mm. But we we could do an off-market yeah. transfer. Yeah. But, on but that. So, say for dark pools, it's normally mm. you've got like you know BlackRock and Vanguard or whatever. Yeah. And they don't you know they've got huge volumes of whatever yeah. there is that they want to want to transact in. Um, so they don't want to put that in in a market because they'll move the price. Mm. So they'll kind of um, be able to come to a an agreement on you know what the price should be for this exchange without them actually then you know moving the market. Yeah. Um, Look, imagine a company that owned five percent of BHP, right? And they want out, and they want out today. Yeah. And they went to and just dumped five percent of BHP on the stock market on one day. Yeah. The markets would be like, what the hell? Like, there's massive sell side here, and that would like probably cause panic. Like, I don't know why, like, the sell volume's gone up by like a thousand percent today. Mm. Something must be happening I'm not aware of. I'm selling too. Mm. And then all of a sudden, like, everyone wants to sell BHP because um, someone just dropped 5% on the market in one day. To avoid yeah. that problem, they'll come up with an agreement and, like, look, I don't want to tank BHP mm. by dropping 5% on the market. We'll just do a deal between ourselves. Mm. And the other person, you know, someone's like, I want to buy 5% of BHP. Mm. Um, if they put a bid for 5% of BHP on the market, people's like, oh, my God, there are so many buyers. I'm not selling at any price. Obviously, there's something I don't know and the price is going to skyrocket. So, yeah. But, I mean, and if you, if you put, you know, buy at market, it would just, like, shoot up the, the column in terms of sucking up all the all the available, you know, sales. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Mm. And they wouldn't necessarily they wouldn't necessarily say, Oh my god, like they could say <laughs> anything really. Like I'm not quoting people when I say that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, cool. Well I think that wraps up. I've got another question, but I'll leave it for next week because we're we're uh, we're at two hours and ten there. So Yeah, we're supposed to stop after the Seinfeld wrapping up of the four investment things yeah, in the sorry. quadrants, by the way. That's pretty smart. You. I was I was I was surprised you. <laughs> I know. I pulled that rabbit out of the hat. It's almost like, yeah, because James and I were talking about whether we should do any um, pre-reading mm. or, so we can do explanations of these um, mm. guys. And and I said, feels a lot like work if I do that. Yeah. I don't want to, you know, make that effort. Like maybe when we get sponsors, I'll, <laughs> I'll be more motivated. But, yeah. yeah. Um, and I, I kind of said to Andy, you know, but, you know, I'll, it'll, I'll get on if I don't sort of – just refresh my memory and, mm. you know, I might look a bit silly, but Andy said it wouldn't matter. Yeah, yeah. he'll always look smarter than me, so he's fine. <laughs> <laughs> cool. All right. But Thank the, you. All right, fine. <laughs> All right, cool. Thanks, guys. See you, Cheers. everybody. Disclaimer. The information discussed on this podcast is for general information only. It should not be taken as constituting professional advice from Andy, James, Andre or any guest they may speak with. We are not your financial advisors. You should consider seeking independent legal, financial, taxation or other advice to check how the information discussed on this podcast relates to your unique circumstances. We are not liable for any loss caused, whether due to negligence or otherwise arising from the use of, 
or reliance on the information provided directly or indirectly by use of this podcast. The music for today's episode is by Alexi Action from Pixabay. Thank you for listening.